We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. What's up? We had a bye week, and Alan, during the bye week, you got afflicted with a more, a more minor version than what apparently I got afflicted with early on in the season, a bout of uh, a vocal difficulty here for you. Yeah, we'll see how it holds up as we go here. Yeah, you sound great. I gave you everything I had in my arsenal. You have the the vocal restorer soothing tea that singers swear by i learned about this after our podcast people sent me recommendations hey this is what all the professional singers do etc and you've got that in your mug there right you go. there yeah so there you go we're starting off strong here a warmer week in gainesville after some unseasonably cool weather last week so this weekend though alan traditionally is kind of the first cold weekend for floridians we'll see if that holds up it could be cold potentially on the field depending on what happens between florida and georgia but overall how are you feeling after the bye week Good. I'm I'm looking forward to the second half of the fall here. Yeah, Florida Georgia weekend. It's always unpredictable. You're up in those temporary sands. Sometimes you're freezing your butt off. Other times you're it's sweltering up there. You never can tell. You never really know. Just Gen- like the game itself. Generally, for many years, a great time for Florida fans, and in more recent years, not so fun. We'll get to all that stuff. We're gonna do. A midseason recap. We're going to give out some midseason awards, discuss some of our predictions, playoff predictions, and then even do a schedule walkthrough on this very episode, as well as getting you ready for Florida, Georgia. As always, if you like the content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel, where we bring you film reviews after each game each week, and become a patron on Patreon, where you can become a donor and drop a dono here to become the Become a dono legend. And you become a donor legend, that's true, forever on this podcast, for as long as we do this, which at this rate, we're eight years in, could be forever. So <laughs> could a lot of years of hearing your name on the podcast. Uh, shout out, as always, to B-Red, our illustrious producer. What's up? And Carly, the commissioner out in Colorado, getting all the video editing done, as well as listening to this very pod each and every week. She's a big fan, been along for the ride a long time. We do have something new for you this week. So at the meet and greet where we had 100 plus visitors come and spend some time with us. 
we had a, a gentleman there named Sammy along with his his wife, and we got to talking. And what Sammy said was he watches the games with his wife, Alan, but at times during like a coaching corner moment, like an analytical moment, a discussion, like should we have gone for it, should we not have, he can't engage his wife in a discussion yet, I'm going to say. She's absorbing the podcast as he listens to it, right? <laughs> but yet as deeply as perhaps he wants to, and he doesn't have a text thread with friends that are on the same level. So he was thinking, hey, have you guys thought about creating something where, you know, GNFP fans or just fans of, of really like smart football, if you will, can talk back and forth during the game live. And we got to talking about it and he basically decided he would run with it. And so now we're launching what we're calling the uh, the GNFP SAMI, S-A-M-I, which is simply a WhatsApp, WhatsApp group. I'm going to place the details of that group on all of our social media this week so you can see it. All you have to do is scan the QR code or join the WhatsApp group. And that way, if you find yourself in a similar situation where you want to have a group of people you can discuss tactics during the game with, in-game with, uh, you will have it. So we'll see how that goes. Sammy's going to be your moderator. So thanks to Sammy for running with this and setting it all up. Uh, so look for that this week. All right. Last week, up till today, Alan, we had some donor activity. We had a new donor here, new patron, and Colin McLeod. Welcome aboard, Colin. What's up? Dono. McLeod. We had a level up. Oh, yeah. McLeod or could be... Uh, McLeod. Could be McLeod. Sure. Yeah. I like that. Uh, level up here from Dr. Jigglesworth. <laughs> I don't who know who that is. I love not it formally known as Dr. Jigglesworth, but changed his name. And you can do whatever you want. So that's great for you, Dr. Jigglesworth. We have a level up to a large dono from Bill Smoke, dropping an annual one there, which is great. And then there was big news. So oh. we mentioned last week that Barry Jenkins of Moonlight fame is a listener of the podcast, frequently in LA traffic out there on the West Coast. And he came in and was a dono legend and a dono king of the GNFP for precisely 24 hours. Because then James Ridge, who was usurped the week before, was not Didn't having like any that. of that. He came right back in, came in hot, upped the dono, <laughs> and uh, now James Ridge is back on the throne. So Barry, you had a great one-week run during the bye week. Your, Good job, your record is untarnished. You haven't taken a loss. If you want to swing back, of course, you're welcome to, as are any of you out there in the listener land of GNFP. Uh, anyone Man. is welcome to the throne. It's simply a meritocracy, if you will. Based there you upon, go. James based Ridge, welcome donors. back. So James King's Ridge, dad, back in the seat. Again. Back in the seat. We'll see if there are any shots fired at you, James, or if you will sit on the GNFP throne um, really untouched. We'll find out. All right, Alan, speaking of former GNFP throne sitters and legends, why don't you read them off for us? Let's start with Barry Jenkins, the most recent king. We already mentioned James Ridge. There he is, though. Uh, in the legends category, Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, the big homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Romery, and Craig Scarado. Okay, there is no game to comment on. Maybe, thankfully, a little reprieve, considering how the season has gone. We thought, you know, it's kind of the midpoint of the season here, bye week, right before the Georgia game. Let's do, let's give out some awards. Let's be a little positive here about what's going on. Um, yeah, let's start with the first half MVP. Maybe I'll go first here. This is a this has been a hard one. Uh, 
who you would think you'd be giving the MVP to has uh, maybe not earned it, Anthony Richardson, because he's kind of lost some games as well. And then you look at the defense, and man, it's just a rough, a rough show over there. I, I don't know. I, I struggled with this. Um, I think I have to give it to Ventrell Miller, just because I, we might be zero and five or zero and six or whatever many games we played um, without him. Uh, he seems to mean that much to the linebacking core and the rest of the team. Even though the defense is terrible, it feels weird to pick a defensive player, but uh, that would be my choice thus far. What about you? Yeah, I think if we're if we're defining it as how you just defined it, the most valuable player to this football team. Right, not necessarily best player. Which is course. not the best player, not the player with the highest ceiling, but to this football team right now, of course, you could say, like you said, preseason, which we said was it had to be AR. And that very well may still be true, right? As sure. up and down as AR has been, we don't know what it would look like full time to have a kid now or someone else in there. It could be, very I true. would imagine it would be worse in my opinion, yes. even though AR has been up and down. We put it on film each week. Uh, the, the UF fan base seems to be particularly tough on him. Which is interesting, given I think we used to spend time in this podcast talking about how guys were really not very good, and a lot of the UF fan base was like more open to them being okay. But there's been a lot of like significant critique put on AR. But regardless, AR well, just clearly staying with AR there. I mean, I think two of his best games have been losses. Correct, and that's part of the problem. But also looking at how good Tennessee is on the road, you know those right. those results are meaningful. So he's up and down. He is what he is, but not the guy you would have thought would have been automatic here. Ventrell, I think, is obviously the one that if you take him off, given Florida's disastrous state of their linebacker core with experience, especially, right. um, you just cannot win football games in the SEC without them. You can't do it. So he becomes a guy who, as we saw last week, uh, before the bye week, rather, you know, does not excel in pass coverage, is a very good run defender, knows what he's doing. And he's the only one you can say that about on the linebacking core that truly knows what he's doing. So I think for that reason, I would agree with you, Alan. I'll take a different one. I'll just take the best guy on film has been a guy that is not going to surprise any of you has been Brenton Cox. He's, right. he's head and shoulders above everyone else on this football team on film. And so we should give him a nod um, because he has in fact been very valuable. The Stevens has been terrible, but most of the positive plays have come through him, whether it's tackle for losses or sacks or even disruptive plays in the passing game. It's largely been his effort that's led to it. Uh, but if you replaced Cox tomorrow with someone else, you'd get a lot less production out of that spot. But you could probably still play some run defense, as we saw without Miller in there. We're just we're we're a headless defense on a defense that's already basically headless. It just is even worse. So I, I like your call there. All right, best best moment is well, the next. Well, let one me let me just comment on Cox here. Uh, yes, he was my second choice here, which is weird that we basically chose two defensive players, considering that's been holding this team back. But it's hard to pick a standout on the other side. I'm, let me switch this up a little. Let me go to best unit. Because I think this tells more of the story alongside the MVP. So this is the best you know, position group on the team. I think we'll probably have the same answer here. But I think it has to be the offensive line. They've defined the terms uh, when the Gators have been successful running the ball. Uh, they've been really stellar at times in pass protection. And they've kept the Gators in games. When the Gators have been playing well, the offensive line's been playing well. Even when they haven't played well, the offensive line's been pretty solid. So I that's weird to you know be at that place considering Flores' pass with the offensive line, but 
I think this is a pretty slam dunk for me. Yeah, that's that's an easy one. Hands down, the O-line, most consistent, most productive. The running backs are right there with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go hand in hand on this team, in my opinion. And obviously for MVP, if you're if you're thinking to yourself, why aren't you mentioning Montrell or why aren't you mentioning, you know, ETN? I think the reasons we gave you there, you know, list out why they're they're not with Miller or with Cox, but those guys on offense have been fantastic running behind that offensive line. Florida's offensive line and their running game is, is you know, top 10 in the country for good reason. Uh, but all the running backs have been successful behind this offensive line to various degrees. And that's why it's it's O-line for me first and then running backs. But again, they are highly correlated and very complimentary. But it's, it's bizarre, Allen, to say the best unit on Florida's football team is their offensive line, given how bad it's been for the past many moons. Um, but that I think is objectively the the answer thus far this season. Yeah, they've been they've been really really good, and that's been fun to talk about. Okay, best moment. I think we're probably gonna have the same one here, but well, you can talk about a different moment in the game. But the Amari Bernie interception in the Utah game uh, that <laughs> that was such a cool moment for a lot of reasons. Created just a ton of like hype and a lot of fun momentum around Florida, even though that's dissipated a lot. But yeah, I mean, you could talk about, you know, the AR throw on the two point conversion being a really great one, but that Bernie pick was, you know, an all timer. Yeah. That's the one that's a layup in a season of a lot of moments. Cause the games have all been close. That's the one that I think if this season finishes the way most of us expected to now middling season, you'll still fondly recall that, especially if Napier and the staff go on to to do really good things. That's one of those moments that will get talked about incorrectly in retrospect as like a, this is how you knew that Billy Napier would be good, which is not going to be true living through this season now. But it is a moment that I think will stand out a lot more if Napier does become good. It's a moment we will recall much more favorably than we do now, where you still recall it favorably, but you're also in the midst of a really difficult season. Uh, but that was a great moment in the swamp, as we said after it happened, and it, it will remain that way forever. Really, really special moment there. And there, I mean, there were a few almosts here, considering the the Tennessee game. We almost stole that one. LSU game almost stole that one, but that was for sure the I think the moment we'll remember, even if the season doesn't go as we want it to. All right, biggest surprise. This is an award to the person who maybe is outperforming their preseason expectations. A few candidates here, but I'm going to go with ETN. He was a guy I think we were hoping for to to have a good freshman season, but you thought he'd be pretty firmly behind Montreal Johnson and probably even Naquan Wright. And he's at times been the best running back. You know, Montreal's kind of the kind of like co-lead right there, but he's been really fun, uh, better than advertised, a decently high recruit, but in terms of his immediate production and his ceiling, uh, that's been really fun to see. Yeah, I think hands down for me, it's the same. It's it's ETN. Uh, he is the most talented player on Florida when it comes to open field explosiveness outside of AR. And and that gives you two guys who are super dynamic. And then you have Montreal as a great running back who if you take, this is kind of the reality. This is how explosive ETN is. If you take Trevor off the football team and it's Montreal and Naquan and, and Lingard and whatever, Montreal is, head and shoulders the best running back thus far Lingard had a nice game last game we'll see if he builds upon it but he's sensational but when you watch ETN on film and you see his explosiveness 
his acceleration, his natural ability to wiggle from defenders. It's just different. And that has been everything you'd want. Now, there were reports of him being like this in camp. Uh, but that's as as a Florida fan, that's what you want to see Napier build upon. And that's one thing we've talked about all year. The super silver lining, especially on this Florida football team on offense, is that Napier's players have been like home runs on the guys he selected and really wanted to play, whether it's Torrance or Montrell or now ETN. Those guys are, are players. And certainly having three of them is not enough in the SEC. But uh, either way, hats off to ETN. Just sensational right now. And it looks like he's going to be an invaluable part of Florida's offense moving forward. A few other guys I want to mention here. Austin Barber playing at right tackle has been so good. Like, I think now he's just taking that job. Tarquin's healthy, but I would expect to be see Barber just hold down that job for the rest of the year uh, because of his upside there. He's played really, really well. I, I wonder if he's also the backup left tackle. If Garage went down, I wonder if they would just end up placing him over there at this point. And then... Also, Justice Boone, who's a guy who we didn't even mention, along with Barber in the preseason kind of rundown, just another guy on the depth chart. And every time he's in there, he looks really good. He looks solid in every phase of what they're asking him to do on the defensive line. And that's a nice um, addition for Florida moving forward. I think he could play a lot of snaps um, down the road as well. Yeah, same goes for Chris McClellan, Chris McClellan, and a bunch of other That's guys. Great. Um, I think you're, people are a little higher on McClellan because of his rating. But correct, yeah. no Boone's been nice, and a lot of the younger guys have have shown promise, and that's something we've highlighted on the podcast each and every year. So nice work there, Alan, with a little segment to kind of recap the first half of the season in a positive lens. We're not focusing on the least valuable player or things that have <laughs> gone tragically wrong. We're giving you some bright some bright spots here thus far. All right, a few coaching corners. A reminder each week, if you send us your coaching corners via any medium you want, we will get to them. If you don't send them to us, we may or may not do any. It just depends on what football games I've seen that weekend as to whether or not we do some of them. Uh, Alan, you and I watched the Jaguars game together on Sunday. Don't remind Alan, me. Alan lives four, four doors down from the house. He brought his family over, his three daughters over. Uh, it was a good time, but several of us watched the end of this game. And in real time, and this is just an interesting discussion point because we discussed it in real time, watched it play out. The Jags had a fourth down and five about on their own 35 yard line with, you know, three minutes and change left. Roughly the Jags have only one timeout, And the question is, should you go for it or no? Now, theoretically, it seems relatively easy just to punt the football, which is what the Jags did. But at that point in time in the game, you had the feeling the Giants were running all over the Jags sort of in that last fourth quarter. You had the feeling that all they had to do was get one first down two at the most and this game would just be over. And so we had kind of talked about this in real time, Alan. Um, you had said, you know, punt, which of course is reasonable and fine. And then I had said, well, I think here's the here's the thought behind not punting. And in that case, if you don't get it, you still have to stop them anyway. And you're down three points. They have to stop them. They can't get more than two first downs or you lose. And the worst case scenario is they kick a field goal on you and you're down six. But you give yourself a chance to convert the fourth down and move the ball on your own. Well, as it turns out, Alan, the Giants did get more than two first downs, but Saquon Barkley ran out of bounds three different times. Yes. Which was remarkable because he's the same guy who several weeks ago in the NFL actually took a knee, like fell down at the two yard line instead of scoring a touchdown to win a football game. So he was not happy with himself. And this led to Jags heartbreak in the most visceral fashion. If you didn't see the game, Trevor Lawrence throws a 20-ish yard pass at the end of the game to the one-yard line on a post route. 
and the Jags fight to get in the end zone. They don't get in. The game ends, time expires. So there's no right or wrong answer to that question, but it was really interesting how it played out and really kind of a fun example of like the beauty of football is there's not a right answer there, but there's two tracks you can go with and the Jags are fortunate, well, I think, to have. I think you were, I mean, this is what, it's interesting the way this plays out because during the Kentucky game, we were killing the Gators for not punting in a similar scenario. And yeah, I think you have to feel out what is happening in the game. Like you've talked about this well. Also, I just have to say right now, I like Trevor Lawrence, but I did not trust him to pick up, or I did not trust the offense to pick up that fourth and five, considering the routes that they're running and the, the, the tight windows he was having to throw it into. And if they're going to play man against our receivers, I I feel like that's a decent matchup for them. So yeah, I, was more hopeful the defense might get a stop that the Giants might go super conservative. They did. They were just able to run it really effectively. So, yeah, perfect. So there's no right answer to those questions. There was also less time than what Florida had done it on and also college versus the pros and right. NFL clock versus college clock and several things there for you. Either way, fun discussion. All right, the second one I have on the film review, multiple weeks now I have displayed Florida in end of half or end of game scenarios getting blitzed by six or sometimes seven guys even so that AR cannot get a Hail Mary off. And I've actually drawn up here to play you would run. Here's how you would do it. Well, of course, I brought joy to my heart that the rather hapless Packers, who are in the midst of an epic struggle, given I think some GM mismanagement on that football team, found themselves in a similar situation against the, the Washington football team, a.k.a. the Commanders, formerly known as the Redskins. The commies. Um, yeah, the commies. And they did. The The Redskins now are taking the new meta, which is blitz, especially against Aaron Rodgers, who has like a history of heroic Hail Marys. And AR, I mean, not AR, sorry, Aaron Rodgers, who's also AR, correctly, <laughs> correctly throws, correctly throws that exact middle route we discussed, like just hit, hit it quickly, hit your quick seam route and then start hitch and pitch. And it turns out that the Packers almost scored. If you didn't see the play, it was a great moment where Aaron Rodgers winds up with the ball like 30 yards down the field. He comes sprinting in. They pitch it to him. He then throws it all the way across the field to an offensive lineman is who he's going for, where if he completes that pitch and it happens to be backwards, perhaps they get down to the five-yard line. Maybe they might even score. There was a penalty. It was all for not. But a really good example of if he tried to get a Hail Mary off in the face of six versus five, it's just not going to happen. There is no play at all. Instead, they gained 40 yards, the ball was live, and they had a moment where they could have won. So I think nice, smart play there by the Packers. I'd love to see Florida, and of course, any other school. I think you just have to have that ready. It's very simple. You just tell your slot receiver, if they all blitz, just turn your head, the ball's coming to you, and you got to make do from there. So personally, a fun moment to watch that play happen there. All right, Alan, I know it's early in the show, but let's just get to it. We're We're reading all the patrons that have ever given us a dono ever, and we're in the middle of it. So here we go. Let's do it. Patrick Barnett. Jeffrey Nielsen, Ski Gator 93, Rich Ramirez, Dylan B- Barton, A. McCollum, Hillbilly Bren. What a name. Hillbilly yeah, Bren. Chris Folsom, Harrison Stanley, Avery Strick, Thomas Nassif. There he is. Thomas, the guy who organized yeah. the meet and greet. Thank Let's you, go. Thomas. Rob Monda, Mr. Two Bits, Sidney Singleton, Emil Ellis. Love it. Emil. Ours, Emil's yeah. my guy. Friend on the Ski Trip each year. Moved out to Arizona and uh, still listens to the pop of his dad, I think, each and every week. There you go. Zach Bram. Ryan Gallant, Frank Marcellisi, Tyler Barnett, Ben Mixon, Nicholas Isaac, Jesse Lucio, Abraham Hanza, Ali Perry, Anita Biaje. 
<laughs> That's good. I'm glad you didn't say that the way they wanted you to say that. Uh, David Sugar, Tyrone Watson, Cooper Anderson. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing about it now. Mara yeah, Nagler, uh, Connor Ketriotis. 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 Yeah. Alan is the pronunciation czar here. So every time he corrects me, it's welcome. Uh, Andrew Rutledge, Matt McDuffie. What's up, dude? Kristen Moody, Michael Guji, uh, or Guju. 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 Yeah. Uh, Will Hartley. Grahambo or Grambo, uh, Patrick Fox, Jamie Galliano, Brett Pope, Ryan Hal, Anthony Orozco, Nathan Jewell, Steve Cherms, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick, right there back to back. James guys. Truitt, one more. And then James Truitt coming in hot the third. Thomas Hart, Eric UF, like it. Brad Wilson, what's up, Brad? Frequent contributor to the uh, Facebook message board there. And then Chris Selbo. So thanks for all of you for supporting your for the show throughout the years. We appreciate that greatly. And that's why we give you love each and every year. All right, Alan, how do we do on the games we picked during this bye week? We did pretty good. Um, we both went five and four. I was hoping for a little bit better result to kind of up my stats because I felt pretty good about a lot of these picks. But uh, we're now both 51 and 52 on the year, neck and neck here. Uh, some fun games. Uh, this first one was not fun. Iowa had Ohio State. Ohio State predictably just lays the wood to them, fifty-four to ten. Yeah. Do you find yourself thinking it's unfortunate that Ohio State plays in the Big Ten and not the SEC? Just because this Ohio State's a great football team, there can be no doubting it. They're super talented. They're well coached. But I just find myself like each week with their results, I, I can't quantify how good they are. I know talent wise they're elite, but there's just no way to know. Iowa's defense comes in at a mythical like top two or three defense, but that's because again, who are they playing? And then Ohio State just murders them, which is this is a great win. It just is I find myself wishing I'd get more data on them, but the reality is for Ohio State, you're gonna have the Michigan game to judge them by, and pretty much that's it. Well maybe that'll change with USC coming in. At least one more data. Point. I mean, at least it's one more, and then, yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully, but it's a little, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think. you got your Penn States. I mean, there's some there's some games that will challenge fine. them. Yeah, fine, but I mean, you know, they're just they're an they're <laughs> an elite SEC talent team. Sure, in a conference that no one recruits anywhere near their hemisphere. They don't have a Georgia to balance their band. No. It's just them, and they're rolling people, and they're very very good this year. If you haven't watched them play, uh, they're phenomenal their offense on offense. Through it's the lights roof. out. It's ridiculous. All right, Syracuse, really game at Clemson. They're winning for a long time. Clemson pulls out 27-21. They actually bench DJ and bring in the freshman, Clay Klubnik. Klubnik. Uh, He sparks them towards a victory, but they're basically just running the ball. Um, Syracuse got up early to do some turnovers, and Clemson just kind of keeps going and eventually pulls it out. The DJ experiment is not working. And you mentioned they brought in the the backup who's who the fans have been itching to see, and I, I would be in the same boat as them. And he threw two picks in yeah. route to it wasn't good. How no. about that? It was not good. So I think it's safe to say Clemson has a quarterback problem. And it, it's Dabo's a guy who's made changes before. I think we had guessed before that they must not have a viable option because Dabo's not the guy who just sits on a guy. So I think he could become viable, but I think clearly Dabo's fears were were real. Yeah, they're still probably better with DJ than the first. And that's where their thought is. But man, Clemson is an interesting football team because their quarterback play has just been so sub suboptimal. But they keep winning football games. Syracuse obviously is the real deal. We talked about that. They're a quality football team for the ACC level. They really should have probably won this game. They throw a pick in the red zone with 30 seconds left. They had a million ways to win it. 
Uh, but Clemson still undefeated, still marching along. Baylor takes care of business, uh, 35-23 against Kansas. Kansas really just can't keep pace without Jalen Daniels. And, yeah, it's still a fun year for them, but uh, this is a, a necessary win for Baylor, who's really struggled this year. You had to have this win. And, again, this is a great loss for Kansas. Like, they're competitive. Right. They're competitive in this football totally. game on the road against Baylor with a backup who's young, and they were in the game, but ultimately couldn't get within the eight that I hoped they would have gotten within. All right, this felt like just free money here. Texas loses to Oklahoma State 34-41. Texas was winning for a while, but Oklahoma State, man, despite a ton of injuries, was able to pull one out here. And that's what's crazy is like, again, don't bet against a proven coach who wins 10 games a year every single year, even when things look bad, which they did for Oklahoma State because of the injuries, when they're playing against a Texas team who's completely untrustable. Quinn Ewers lighting the world on fire in the first half. Okie State makes some adjustments, and he basically disappears. Can't connect. Super low completion percentage. Kind of has a freshman-type game on the road. And Texas winds up losing a close one. Uh, So Oklahoma State, you know, one-loss team. Good team out there in the Big 12. Texas is better than they have been. But if you're a Texas fan, you've seen enough of these second-half collapses for like a lifetime. All right, Mississippi State, who's just not played well a lot this middle stretch of the season loses to Alabama 30 to six. I, I guess holding Alabama to 30 is a good result for them, but man, the way they were putting points up early on, this is just disappointing. Well, this is the reality of Mike Leach's air raid. We've talked about it. It's either on or it's off. It's like an true. on switch and off. So that's not true of, true of the air raid in general, but Mike Leach is probably the, the, as really one of the creators of it, the still the purest sort of 1.0 version user of it. There's been a lot of what I would consider to be like innovations in it. And he still really uses like the most basic version of the air raid. Uh, and at times it just doesn't work. Now, afterwards, he chalked it up in his press conference to fear. He basically said that his players are afraid of the Alabama jersey. And if they had changed their clothes, they would have played a lot better. And hmm. that he can't figure out how to make them not afraid of the jersey. Uh, that may be true to a certain degree. It seems like though Mississippi State has been afraid of no one else, which was his point, or perhaps it's just that Alabama knows how to play this version of Mississippi State. But regardless, uh, 30-6 to loss historically for Mississippi State against the the national tight end contending Bama team is not bad, but I think it's partly to a credit to Mike Leach that people expect more out of Mississippi State. They can be more competitive than that, and that was certainly not a result they were looking forward to. All right, in a game that I watched almost all of, South Carolina puts down Texas A&M 30 to 24. You were on this one. I thought Texas A&M had to show a little bit more. Question, I don't know if you or B-Red put this in here, but is South Carolina good or Texas A&M bad? Clearly Texas A&M is, is not good. And it, it warms my heart and soul. We said before the year that we wanted the big money teams to struggle, that I really wanted them to lose. I didn't like that at all. I don't like the direction it's taking college football because it's unstructured. There's no contract. It's not healthy. Money's fine, but it's not healthy the way that it is. It's awesome to me that A&M is falling flat on their face. It's awesome that Miami is tripping all over themselves. I love that. I don't want that to be, you know, a pay for play, win a title type situation. So chalk one up for the good guys in that regard. Um, of course, yes, college football players are getting paid everywhere else. That's fine. I just think until we get a contractual nature or something with a, a more fair playing field when it comes to how finances are handled, I don't want I don't want this kind of stuff to go through. 
that being said, Alan, South Carolina was spotted. Was it 17 free points to start the game? Basically true kick return for a touchdown with four missed tackles, immediate interception, immediate interception at 17, nothing. A&M won the rest of the football game, but the hole was too big. And this is another credit to Shane Beamer. I mean, what he's doing at South Carolina is excellent. It's absolutely excellent. They're an ugly team, but they find ways to win and they're competitive. And they're going to be a challenge for Florida when, when Florida faces them. All right. Another great game here. Kansas State at TCU. TCU comes back again. They win 38-28. They're going to be doing this every week. Uh, surviving a, just a gauntlet of teams that are right at their level, I think. But they seem to gut it out every week. I don't, I don't know how long it's going to last. We both thought it might end with Kansas State. Beating them. I mean, Kansas State was down to its third string quarterback by the end of the game, and that that was the end of it. Yeah, TCU, this is a magic run. I mean, raise your hand if you expected this. No. And no one's hands are raised across the country. And this is just a thrilling run. And look, all the rest of their games, Alan, are winnable. Totally. They're also losable. They're all, all losable. But the way they're going, I mean, shame on us for not betting on them there. Great win for Sunny Dykes and TCU. What a magical season here. All right. I was disappointed in this result personally. Um, I like this Ole Miss team. They fell apart against LSU in the second half. LSU I, wins 45-20. I mean, Ole Miss seemed like they're off the races. They're up 17-3. Or they're 14-3, and they're driving look like for another touchdown. Settled for a field goal. And then, weirdly from then on, LSU owned them. Yeah, really did own them. And it's something we had said entering into Florida's week. I said it on the film review. LSU has been a remarkably good second-half team. All year long. As the game goes on, they get better. And that is a sign of good coaching. I've said it the whole year now. I said it in December last year when the LSU hired Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's a good football coach, period. He's a good football coach. It's why he's won so many games at you know three different schools now. This LSU team is getting better every single game. Unlike Florida, where we're seeing lots of questionable things that are hard to understand. We're saying you got to trust the formula or not trust it. But meaning the coaches are saying that. Brian Kelly's team is just tactically getting better. Um, and in this game, they once again found themselves in a hole, but they don't care. Played themselves right out of it. And I mean, they crushed Old Miss. I mean, to think they won 45-20 in this game, Alan, after they were getting smoked in the beginning is a testament to the fact that they stay calm, they run their stuff. And for two weeks in a row, yes, for two weeks in a row, Jaden Daniels is, was the best quarterback in college football. 11 touchdowns, no picks, almost a perfect passer rating, 150 plus rushing yards. He was absolutely the best player on any field for any team anywhere. And we'll see if he keeps it up. But if you're an LSU fan right now, I think you went from like, this is uncomfortable, Southern accent, Brian Kelly, I don't like this, to like, this is amazing. Like, if we can start recruiting, the sky is the limit. I'm, I'm, and I think LSU fans are looking forward to the Bama game now. I think, yeah. they're, I think they're really feeling like this is something we can do. Bama's vulnerable, and LSU is seemingly on fire. So, uh, you know, for Old Miss, they hadn't played anyone yet. This was the first team they played, and they ran into a hot LSU team who put them down. Yeah, and without Zach Evans, their star running back, kind of the one-two punch there. With their freshman Jenkins, they just couldn't keep up. And Jackson Dart at quarterback just couldn't hit anything. All right, UCLA finally runs into a wall against Oregon. They lose 45-30. Maybe, maybe the only other person who could compete with Jane Daniels for best player of the week was Bo Nix. The Bonix experience for Oregon. I mean, since think about how far they've come since that week one just demolishing by Georgia. They're playing really well. They've been putting up a ton of big numbers on offense. Yeah, and this is the this is the world we live in, right? Bo Nix, Auburn transfer, Jaden Daniels, Arizona State transfer. Like these, are, this is how college football is. 
don't like your quarterback, go into the market and pick someone else up. But for Bo Nix, it's an unbelievable redemption story. The Pac-12 is going to have a hard time, if not impossible time, getting a team into the playoff, even already. Right. But Oregon may have the best path. Because if you lose in week one to a buzzsaw of Georgia, week one losses are like valued way less. Especially the way Oregon is handling teams. They'd have to keep handling teams, but you can see on that sideline that Dan Landing is is feeling good about himself. He's got this program moving in the right direction, and uh, that was a good win for them against for a sure. very good UCLA football team. All right, Daytona Steve continues his losing ways, and uh, <laughs> you know it's a spooky parlay. It was spooky that he took an L right away when he had Ohio State and Iowa and took the under. Yeah, Ohio State and Ohio hit the State over by hit themselves. the over by itself. So you know it's 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 all right, Daytona. Look, Daytona. We had a conversation during the off week and it was, it was pretty simple. It's like, dude, what are you doing taking these 24 to one odds? bets like 16 to one. That's not who you are. Daytona Steve came out several years ago and shot for the moon and hit it. <laughs> That's why Daytona Steve is still on the show because he was doing like lottery type bets, not to, not reasonable bets. That's not his skill set, right? He's the, he's at the Greyhound track placing a dollar to win a million dollar kind of bets burning some cigs yeah yeah, the pooches, yeah he's yeah. trying to get rich off the craziest odds you've ever seen so i told him you got to dig deep and get back to your roots and he did so stay tuned for the end of this podcast when we bring you his picks for this week because we're <laughs> back to where one dollar is going to win you a whole lot of money uh, and that's what we're looking for i love so it we're, we're back here with daytona steve all right the rest of the sec ut martin you know predictably gets demolished by tennessee 65 24 and Missouri and Vandy play a really tight one. Missouri wins 17-14. <laughs> I guess it makes that Vandy game a little scarier for UF if they're going to play people close. Yeah, for sure. We've said that. This is a competitive Vanderbilt team with most teams in the SEC in year one already. And, and Clark Lee, I think, was, uh, you know, he's still out there saying they're going to become, of course, the team to watch. But regardless, this is this this current 2022 edition of Vanderbilt is much more competitive than what we've seen in several years. All right, Alan, I wanted to, before we get to Florida, Georgia, just talk a little bit about Florida's ranking statistically. Each week I bring you all of the opposing teams. I sort of sprinkle in what Florida's is like, but this is the kind of the halfway mark. It's a little past the halfway mark of the season. Where are we? And of course, this has been floating around um, the internet in some regards with certain sound bites, but we're just going to walk through some of the key points of Florida's overall stats. And we'll start on offense Points per game, Florida's at 28, that's 60th in the country. I don't put a lot of stock in points per game because that also includes defensive scores. Um, That's not that important. What's more important are the efficiency metrics. And let's start with points per play. That's one of the best metrics there is. Points per play, Florida's at .453, which is top 30 in the country. Which is excellent for where Florida's at. Which is excellent for where Florida's at in year one. So we've talked a lot about Napier as OC, Napier's offense. That number by itself is excellent for where Florida is at. We'll talk about some numbers that aren't so excellent. Yards per play at 6.3, also very good uh, in that regard, right? Top 30. So there's a couple of good metrics there. And then third down conversion is, you know, top 50, which is fine. So basically, if we just snapshot kind of the efficiency metrics for the offense, you would say before the year, this is about where we thought this would be kind of in this level. It's, it's been fine. The defense now, same kind of stats, of course, not surprisingly, illustrate the issue. Opponents point per play, uh, 0.421, so, you know, very, very high. Opponents yards per play is a ridiculous 6.2. That's 112th in the country, so a a total sieve. 
Uh, opponents third down conversion, as all of you now know, is 131st in the country. And opponents yards per game is 104th in the country, giving up 441 yards a game. So the defense is not a defense, as we know. Uh, Florida's offense, Allen, exemplary in yards yards per rush, yards per carry. Fourth in the country at 6.0. We keep talking about how good this rushing offense is and top 25 in rushing yards per game. The defense, the opposite story, allowing almost five yards per carry at 114th against the run and opposing rushing yards per game is 111th in the country. So, I mean, this is the worst Florida defense that we have seen in our time doing the podcast. And I statistically can easily say in the modern era uh, right now, by a long shot is how bad this has been. A few more stats here before we finish up. Florida's offense on the passing side of the football is a 7.0 yards per pass. That is not a good number, Allen. We talked no. about preseason. Napier needs to be above 10. At Louisiana, he'd be at 10, 10, 8, 10, 7. That was the goal preseason. If we knew his passing offense was going to work, that is a significant sign. It is not working. That's 82nd in the country. His passing yards per game are 104th at just 187 per game. Uh, and the QB sack rate is a positive based upon the O-line, the interceptions thrown is a negative, but I think those stats tell you the story on offense and to complete the defense, the, uh, the opposing uh, completion percentage is basically worst in the country right around there. It's 66% opponents yards per pass is 8.3 yards per pass. That's good for 114th in the country. And so Florida fast. is actually generating, interestingly enough, quite a few interceptions, top 30 in the country in interceptions. The only positive stat we've brought you on defense at all. Uh, sack rate is, is fine. It's middling. So, that tells the story right there with where Florida is. And those numbers, as you just said, pathetic on defense are in fact pathetic. And the passing numbers for Florida are far below what Napier himself would want. And you can see quite easily with these numbers backing up where Florida is that th this defense, Alan, there's no nice way to put it, is a train wreck across the board in every category except for interceptions, which has been, I don't want to say lucky, it's not lucky, but interesting given how poor the rest of this defense has been. Right. And if you look at those numbers, I mean, if Florida is just even, like you said, halfway there in the 60s, they're probably 6-1 and one right now, at least. Oh, for Maybe sure. Maybe 7-0. Oh. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we can talk about the offense being underwhelming, especially in the past game. But it's weird. You look at the Florida's just yardage per game on offense. It's It's, you know, like 65th. Because they get so few drives. Right, we have so few plays. Right. Correct. And that's why it's more important to look at that points per play stat like we did and yards per play. Florida's very good there, but we're getting 20 less plays a game than our opponents. Yeah, and you're not going to win like that. On the plus side, penalties, we've talked about this. Penalty yards per game, 6.8, number two in the country. So that's a win for the staff. And again, you can't clean up everything all at once. This was an emphasis, and they did a really great job with that. Yeah, they did. And one thing to pay attention to with penalties, which we're going to get to talk about this week when we talk about Florida, Georgia here in a minute, Florida's 47th in penalties per play. So what that's telling you is they don't give up a lot of significant penalties, personal fouls, 15 yarders here and there, even pass interference calls. It's mainly like a false start or something small, uh, which is good and bad. A lot of coaches will tell you if you're going to give up penalties, you want to give up significant ones when you're in trouble. So a cornerback holding while playing man defense and preventing a touchdown might lose you 10 yards, but gain you 50, right? If it's going to be a touchdown. So there's kind of different ways to look at this, but regardless to your point, Alan, to see Florida in penalty yards 
per penalty at 6.8, second best in the country, and the top 50 in every other penalty metric is relatively unheard of for this Florida program. And if they just didn't return kicks, they'd probably number one. Yeah, that's exactly right. And lastly, time of possession, which is something that Billy Napier needs. Florida doesn't have to be a TOP offense because we've said they want to be explosive, but at Louisiana, they generally did have better ball control. Florida right now uh, is a is a remarkable 115th in the country in time of possession. So not only is your defense out there a long time because they're poor, the offense itself is not necessarily able to sustain drives consistently enough to help the defense stay off the field. And that is a recipe for, of course, bad results. So that is where Florida is before we get you ready for Georgia. Kind of put that in the rearview mirror. All of you, I'm sure, are saying that's not surprising, but it does bring you direct context for strengths and weaknesses. And I think the takeaway you said at best, Alan, is this offense has been ugly at times. It's been inefficient at times. It would have cost Florida a win against Kentucky on its own, which it did. Uh, but by and large, it's about where a lot of people would have expected it to have been. Some spots are better than others. Some are weaker than what you expect, but in the hemisphere. And the defense is so far out of the hemisphere that it has been the major Achilles heel for this year one program for Napier. All right. It's Florida, Georgia week, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I love this game. I grew up going to it from Jacksonville. Holds a special place in my heart. I hope it stays in Jacksonville forever. I know that's been in the news some today and in the last week. But it's a special, such a special atmosphere for college football. It's one of the last really two true neutral site games along with Texas, Oklahoma. And I love it. And, you know, traditionally there's been a lot of wild results the last couple of years. Maybe less so as the better team has, has won generally, I mean, mostly Georgia in that time span. But, man, uh, it just marks the calendar for me that this this weekend around you know around Halloween end of October, uh, I just love the rhythm of it. I love going to Jacksonville for it, and no matter what's going on, if if you can beat Georgia, that is a big moment in your season. If you have a good season but you lose to Georgia, that's a black mark. No matter what's going on in the rivalry, and especially since Georgia's been so dominant with Kirby Smart's return. This is the measuring stick for Florida. Can you play with Georgia? And more often than not, they cannot. And two years ago, of course, Florida, under Kyle Trask, just eviscerates them. That was a great moment. But last year, kind of went back to that same script. It was a weird, weird game, but Georgia ended up winning 34-7. to How are you feeling about Florida-Georgia week? I feel like we're down 22.5 points on the Vegas line is how I feel. It is. Uh, so it feels just like that. You know, this feels like... It would be the the greatest upset on the Florida side in the modern era of this rivalry. That spread, if it sounds large to you, is the largest spread in the modern era since they've been keeping records on spreads in this game back wow. to the early 90s. So this is as wide as the gulf has been uh, in general when it comes to these two teams. And this is where we are. And again, let's not forget that they hammered us last year. So Florida's program had been trending down towards the end of Dan Mullen's career. And it's sort of just maintained the same trend from last year. Uh, obviously hopeful that the culture and the foundation building will, will make it turn around. But this is the reverse of what we all experienced. If you're my age, right. And you, in your early two thousands, mid two thousands, late two thousands, you know, 20, 20 teens, like just Florida dominating Georgia. We used to count all the years off that we'd win, right. You're in the stadium right. at the end. You're, you're singing every single year you've won because you've won so many in a row. 
And that pendulum has swung way the other way to such an extreme now that Florida's more than a three-touchdown underdog at a neutral site game in their own state. That's pretty crazy. All right. Let's do a little Georgia prep here. The game's at 330, number one Georgia. As you said, favored by 22.5. They are 7-0. You might have heard of their head coach, Kirby Smart, defending national champion. They've got a talent advantage. I don't know if you've heard that Georgia's talented. Uh, they rank second in the composite with 15 five-stars. That's quite a few, and 52 four-stars. Almost everybody on their roster is a blue chip. Uh, UF is 12th. Coach and staff, OC, been there a couple years now. Todd Munkin, who, while not the most dynamic guy, I think is a productive guy. and gets a decent amount of what he has. The co-DCs, Glenn Schumann is in his fourth year, and a young up-and-comer named Will Muschamp is in his first year as the co-DC. So we'll see what the future holds for him. All right, on offense. I love it. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I, you know, I think he'd be a great hire. You that know, his great. first year DC with Georgia – yeah. Just someone needs to take a flyer on this. Yeah, sky a lot of energy. Him. Absolutely. All right. Uh, the walk on himself, the mayor of Athens, Stetson Bennett. His stats this year uh, 2,033 yards passing, 12 TDs. That's five of those are rushing, only one pick. Um, we've had some up, he's had some up and down games, but mostly been pretty effective. They have a running back by committee. Um, maybe lack the stars that they've had at this position, but all these guys are fairly talented. Uh, Dijun, Di, Dijun Edwards. Do you know how to say that? that you're Dijun? the names guy. Yeah, Dijun? could be Dijon. Dijon. There you go. We're gonna find out on D A I J U N. I haven't. I, I've only seen Edwards really. I know all the Georgia fans out there listening. Yeah. I know that you will during this week. You can write to us and say, "I cannot yeah, can believe laugh you are now pronouncing our lead back's name." And you're right. We're sorry. We're yeah, sorry about that, Edwards. Uh, Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh. McIntosh is actually third on the team in targets and. Really, the stars of this offense, though, are the tight ends. Brock Bowers, you know, the Hulk himself, 393 yards, five TDs. He's got three rushing. He has TDs. three. He has three. Yeah, he has actually three rushes in general. Oh, three rushes. Which is kind of funny that B-Red put that on there. But they even hand him the football as a tight they end. They do. Which is pretty unusual. So, to your point, yeah, kind of the superhero of the team. Yeah, second on the team of targets. Um, number one. Lad McConkey, man, you're just getting bested by Lad McConkey. You're not feeling great, but he's a talented dude. Um, We're not super talented, but well, he's talented enough to, but yeah, to but rush is, is the guy. That's what's so weird about this Georgia team, as you're going to see, is that's their number one receiver is Lad McConkey, not a highly talented guy at a high school, but leads the team in targets. And they're going to get some more guys back: Arian Smith, uh, Ad Mitchell. They're, they have some guys returning, but they're missing their number one from last year, Burton, who's now in Alabama who's hitting Tennessee co-eds after the game and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, Darnell Washington, the other enormous tight end, 285 yards. It's, he's fourth in the target. So between Bowers and Washington, those are two behemoths who are very, very difficult to match up with. And I can't remember, James, maybe you can remind me, has Florida struggled to cover tight ends at all this season? I like how you're handling this segment, and uh, <laughs> I don't remember either. Maybe it's a strength of ours, and I've, I've just erased it from my memory um, from the nightmares of what happened. Perhaps we're great at that. Maybe but, so. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's. I don't think that bodes well for us is what I think the answer to that question is. Uh, in fact, what's interesting, and you can kind of see why Missouri had success against um, Georgia without even diving into what I'm going to tell you, which is I, I I didn't tell you they had a receiver that strikes fear into anyone. Right. And if you have a team that can cover 
running backs and tight ends with your linebackers, you can be successful against Georgia. And that is what happened with Missouri is they were able to play as you're going to kind of see the blueprint I lay out for you defense against Georgia and having no fear of their actual wide receivers. And this is definitely the major chink in Georgia's offensive identity. It's nice to be able to play two tight ends. It's nice to be able to throw the ball to your running back a lot. It's not nice to have no outside threats that, that make, make you afraid vertically. That's a problem. It's also a problem that Georgia's offensive line is fine for them. Yeah. It's fine. Not it is the dominant not a dominant unit. It's fine. So a couple fine with not a true outside threat. You get some issues with offense. You can see why they struggle. I'm going to uncover for you the game plan to beat Georgia, which I think is blatantly obvious. This to me is the only path you could even take to attempt to play with them. And I've not said this at all this year entirely because there hasn't been one that's this clean. This is very clean. If I'm a DC, here's what I'm doing, Alan. First of all, Georgia's team this year versus last year. Let's get a couple of different differences, right? If you're thinking Georgia and they run the ball all the time, you're thinking wrong. This year, they're 51% pass, 49% run. Last year, they ran it 62% of the time. They rarely threw the ball last year. This year, they're throwing it a lot more. With that being said, they're still top five in almost all offensive categories, but they're not as explosive. Yards per play is not quite as high, but they are very efficient. They don't throw picks at all, as you pretty much heard, and they don't allow sacks. Bennett's slippery, gets away, he's smart. Play action still a staple 42% of the time. Yeah, they still wreck you with that. So it's still the same offense. It's just more passing. They can't run it quite as much because they're not as dominant. They don't have a start running back like they had before on the offensive line. So they had to tweak things a little bit. So here's, here's the game plan to beat them. Florida should play mostly man on... I'm going to say 90% of the snaps. Is that going to happen? No way. But here's why they should. Stetson Bennett, let's let's get his profile. Stetson Bennett's a walk-on. He's got a lot of experience. He's a heady and smart quarterback. That's what he is. Heady and smart. Lock onto that. His QB rating versus zone this year is 117. Extremely high. Is that good? That's a phenomenal efficiency rate. All right. Versus zone. Again, 117. 73% completion rate. These numbers are astronomically good. Versus man, 49% completion rate, QB rating of 83, allowing double the sack rate. Now, when you see a disparity that is that significant, and that is very significant, as a DC, you either bang your head against the wall and say, I'm going to run zone because I run zone, or you say, forget it. I have got to play man against this football team. That is exactly what Missouri did. Missouri played half their snaps in man. Of those snaps, they played the completion rate for Stetson was 26%. In fact, I'm going to go as far as this, Alan. Had Missouri played man for 90 plus percent of that football game, they win the football game. The majority of completions from Stetson Bennett were against zone. They should have just kept playing man. Missouri also did a really smart thing that they frequently brought pressure against Georgia. They frequently brought pressure with just five Sometimes six, but just five, because you have to get Stetson Bennett off of his spot. Again, he's a cerebral quarterback. He likes to attack zone. He pre-snap reads where he wants to go with the football, and generally he's right. So if you can bring pressure, you play man, you make the window small, he tends to struggle. Missouri did all of those things. They brought pressure on nearly 50% of the snaps. 50%. It's a huge pressure rate. If you look at Georgia versus teams that did not choose to do this, there's a direct correlation. The less snaps you played in man, the more Georgia punished you. 
Now, Florida's played, you know, 20-ish percent man defense this season. We have been we've seen Florida kind of unwilling to make it like an identity. But this is a tactical game where you basically say to yourselves, we're the inferior team. We don't have good linebackers. We have major issues covering their tight ends. I'm going to roll out there and play as much man defense as I can. And I'm going to send my free linebacker into the backfield pressure as much as I possibly can. And I'm occasionally, Allen, going to look like I'm in man and drop in a zone just enough to make them think about it. Because you can't let a team know you're in man sure. every single play. That, to me, is as obvious as it could be. And look, you may get shredded doing that. They may put up huge plays on you. But the alternative is not an alternative. You cannot let a quarterback that kills zone defense as easily as Stetson Bennett does go up against our zone defense, which is horrific, Allen. Right. And expect anything good to happen. It would be the absolute epitome of stubbornness to do something like that. It would be the complete opposite of a Bill Belichick plan. Right. And again, if Belichick is coaching, I have to believe he's going to load up on man defense and pressure the heck out of Stetson Bennett. Is Florida going to do that? I don't have my hopes we're going to do that. It seems again like right now, Tony, who I think has a tactical brain, is still in foundational, like we've talked about recipe building, and he seems less interested in like barbelling it to win one game. So we're going to see, we're going to find out, but this is as clear as it's been all year. Georgia has a weakness. They have an issue on film. It's clear. It's not like Georgia was missing open receivers against man. Passes weren't close. Balls were not thrown well. It's very clear that Stetson Bennett is uncomfortable if your team is able to play good enough man defense against him to make those windows small. And so when you're running man against tight ends like Georgia has, you're obviously with Florida's linebackers not wanting to put them too much in man coverage. Are you going to use your safeties and your star nickels on them? Yeah, I think this is where you play some more dime. I think this is where you try to survive. Georgia's run game has been a little bit underwhelming, right? It's not been amazing. And if you can get Georgia, let's say in third and six, third and seven, just go dime. And if they happen to, to dime, obviously six DBs, if they happen to pick up the first down running the ball, live with that a few times, live with that. Don't give up the place Florida tends to give up. Florida's defense is obviously not good enough. We don't have Hopper out there covering people. We don't have those kind of guys to your point. Ventrell Miller is a huge liability covering people. So I think if you just did more dime where you keep Ventrell out there, you put Ventrell on an assignment that he can handle, right? That helps. Secondarily, Georgia does not throw the ball to Edwards or Milton, hardly at all. Which means when McIntosh is in the game, Kenny McIntosh is in the game, you know there's a much, much greater chance that he is going to go for a pass. So there are things Georgia are doing that tip their hand a bit to the defense to where you could be more tactical with your packages. You got to live with something. Florida's defense is terrible as it is. In my opinion, throw caution to the wind. And let your guys go man to man. The biggest benefit of this by far, Alan, is there's no more confusion with what, what there's no confusion. You take True. that guy, you cover that guy. I'm not gonna have to blow a zone. I'm not gonna have to watch my receiver release. I'm just gonna stick that guy. And again, George doesn't have a, a receiver that's gonna burst you for a huge play over the top. They don't have a vertical threat at all. So you're talking about Setson Bennett having to hit inside intermediate throws to tight ends in small windows with safeties over the top, being able to help. And I think that is the best way to do it. So we're going to see what Florida chooses to do. But again, if we see a lot of zone in this game, I think the expectation should be for Florida that Setson Bennett is going to do very well against that. Yeah, it seemed like that. If you're going to allow him, especially to be unpressured, throwing into zone windows, I mean, they are going to pick up whatever they want to. And that kind of slow death just feels like you're just signing up to lose the game. 
So not that Florida's going to be able to play man effectively enough to win, but I'm with you 100%. When the stats bear that out, you at least have to go for that. You have to try it. Again, the alternative is just is silliness. And so we're going to see. I'm very, very curious. Like I said before, Tony's done stuff I would not have done if I were the DC. It doesn't fit my necessary style, but he's done things that have made sense and at times have not made sense, right? The the film, obviously, from from the last game, there were some inexplicable just how Florida was choosing to employ the tactic was wrong. Our depths, how far we were off. And I don't know whose fault that is. We already covered that. But this is a case, like we said, this is a case where it's a glaring weakness that, that Stetson Bennett has as a quarterback and Georgia has as a team right now that Florida would be super foolish not to try to exploit. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the defense. Uh, still some you know, very talented players on this defense, which lost obviously a lot of guys to the NFL. Uh, let's start with their linebackers who are still very excellent. Nolan Smith, who was a leader of the team last year. He's still there. Three sacks, 10 hurries. Maybe the guy who's playing the best for them, uh, Jamin Dumas Johnson, leading the team in tackles. You still have Ke- Keely Ringo, the guy that's questionable for them. Maybe their best player, Jalen Carter, their star defensive tackle. Um, Questionable for this game. We'll see. May or may not play. Obviously, he'd be a difference maker if healthy. But there's still dudes everywhere along the linebacker, along the line in the secondary. Not as seasoned and um, maybe as star-driven as they were last year, but still extremely effective. Yeah, super effective. Georgia's top five in almost every category again this year. And you see some tactical leanings to their personnel this season. Like you mentioned, that if this defensive line, Allen, is not getting a lot of pressure. Their sack rate's not high. But what's great about this team is their second and third level are fantastic. This is a linebacker-driven defense. Their three linebackers are the three leaders on their team in pressures, the three leaders in their team in tackles. They are fantastic. They're supported by a secondary cast that is absolutely shutting down opposing teams' receivers. And then safeties that are that are extremely versatile tacklers and cover guys. And so this is a second and third level defense, which is a little bit unconventional. You tend to want to have your D-line kind of be the, the, the focal point, like last year for Georgia, to be an all-time great defense. But this team gets it done. They still run a lot of zone. They use a lot of simulated pressures. Uh, they tend to want to keep two high safeties there. That allows them to be able to play undermanned against the numbers, but play safe against the pass. And they don't miss a lot of tackles. They are playing significantly more man defense this year. So they've upped their coverage, their cover one snaps 10 to 12% more than last year. Um, they pressure again, only 20% of the time. They never bring six or more. They play safe defense. They play sound defense. They make you beat them. And they'll also play quite a bit, just like last year, bringing three. So in reality, if I were to put up the stats for Florida's defense and kind of how they play defense coverage wise and Georgia's, they're similar. And we had said when Tony got hired that Tony's goal is to be Georgia's DC when it comes to style. He's copying that model. Creepers, simulated pressures, play safe on the back end, don't bring a lot of pressure. It's just that Florida doesn't have the talent Georgia has, and it's not being taught as well right now. The players are not into the system as well yet. So what does all that mean? It means that the opportunity to exploit Georgia is not frequently going to be there. Like any college defense, they will have times when you can get them. Uh, But this particular Georgia team is better, in my opinion, in the secondary than they were last year. And that is what I think is is fueling this defensive success. And that's why Georgia's playing more man is they're leaning into this year's strengths. Last year's strength was the defensive line play zone, get picks. 
this year's strength not going to get there as quickly play man keep saves over the top make the windows small and that's been a successful recipe for them yeah this is really difficult to try to attack them because they can shift to what you're doing they're capable of playing probably any style that they want to effectively enough so there's not like oh let's just do this to them because this is where obviously they're stronger over here and weaker over here uh, when you watch them play, yeah, there's there's not the same dynamism of last year's team in terms of the front seven. They don't flash as much, but nobody really does anything all that much against them. And, it, and if you, especially if you watch the Oregon game, if you start <laughs> inflicting pain upon yourself, they're just going to absolutely strangle you. Um, I'm worried about Florida turning the ball over. I'm worried about Florida in probably every you know, facet on offense that Georgia could exploit. Also, I think Florida could have some success in a variety of ways. They could be, they could run the ball some, they could pass the ball some. I don't know if they'll be able to do enough of either to win, but Florida, there's still kind of a mystery box a little bit. Um, there's not a part of that where I'm like, I'm, I'm just totally afraid of Georgia. Please don't run the ball or please don't pass the ball. But yeah, Florida's, you know, as I said, kind of average in a lot of things. And I don't think that's going to be the recipe to beat Georgia. So if you're looking to attack Georgia, what are you dialing up for Florida? Well, their man defense is fantastic throughout this season. There's a QB rating of 30. That score goes from like zero to 150, basically uh, 30 when they play man. They're just shutting people down in their man defense. They have one Achilles heel. And that is their cover four or quarters defense. If I have to guess based upon what I've seen on film, that's largely because how teams like Georgia run quarters is is pattern matching entirely all the time. And at times they just get it wrong. Uh, cover four is a horrible defense if you play it statically, meaning you just drop four guys back. Everyone throws underneath. It's not hard. If you pattern match, it can be very dynamic. Uh, they're not there yet with that. And so they're actually giving up a QB rating of 126.7 in that one particular defense. And they do run it a lot. They run it as much as they run cover three. That means that in this game after a bye week, you'd expect them to clean some of that stuff up. But if Florida does face quarters coverage in this game, that's going to be their best chance of using some routes that could confuse them, you know, create, create mismatches where you're going to have pattern matching issues uh, several teams against georgia did this very very well where they knew that georgia was going to be in quarters coverage and they would run routes that would conflict those 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 changes those switches and they would get guys wide open the sad part is Allen florida has been a team that's very light on running yeah. coverage beaters we've talked about that extensively they're not putting a lot of that stuff on film it's personally very frustrating for me so i think the thing to watch for in this game entirely is florida's passing play design it has to get better. We've talked about it ad nauseum this season. It just has to get better from a chalkboard standpoint, even if we don't complete them. I need to be able to go in the film review and see plays that make sense versus defenses that teams run. If Florida comes out and tries to run the Swiss Army pass plays that are good against everything but great against nothing against a team like Georgia where we're undermanned talent-wise, that is not going to fly. So Billy needs to come up with something that is going to be specifically exploitable against Georgia's defense and then against man I'm begging I'm pleading Napier to run more of what you would consider to be man beaters than just relying on shorter to beat somebody on a, on a slant or a fade or whatever that's ridiculous we have got to incorporate a more cohesive team strategy when we're playing versus man defenses 
versus man defenses rather with our offense and our receivers. And that should mean sending more guys out. It should mean running more rub routes, just knowing that we have got to face a a defense that is excellent in coverage and you better do something to make it hard for them because lining up one-on-one is not going to get it done. So Flores had it's the most success in one of two facets, either you know, like the game plan against Tennessee or what they were effective with against Tennessee, spreading it out a little bit, letting AR cook, or when they've been able to just run the ball with their zone read, not zone read, excuse me, wide zone plays. Would either of those seemingly be potentially more effective against Georgia? Which one, if you had to gamble on being more effective, would you say? That's a great question because it's Georgia's so good with bringing their safeties down to stop like a zone read, for example. Um, they defend the edge super well. They cover anything east-west really well. I think that you have to attack Georgia vertically. I can't wait for the Florida, I mean, for the uh, Georgia-Tennessee matchup because I think that's how you want to attack Georgia. Uh, you don't want to attack them east-west. We say it every single year. You cannot attack them east-west. The reason Florida beat Georgia in wheel route you know, right? Palooza was that those are vertical routes. We were sending vertical routes on the field with a vertical route behind it. And that's what won us that football game with an accurate quarterback who could hit those routes. You just cannot beat Georgia with East West stuff. So Billy likes to run vertical routes, but naturally Georgia is going to be four on twoing those routes. We've seen every team do it. They're not going to blow those. We're not going to get open. So I think the answer to your question in this game is if you spread the field wide to your point and you force Georgia to have to match four receiver sets you give AR a chance to be who he is which is a playmaker against the defensive line for georgia that is talented but is not is not the strength of this defense that to me it makes the most intuitive sense but we've seen that billy doesn't really care about that he's a 12 personnel guy he's going to run that junk 35 40 percent of the plays come hell or high water and he's going to live with it and whether that works or not this game we're going to find out but again if it's me i'm always going to be leaning towards spreading teams out and trying to let my playmakers make plays because it, it makes me more robust in the passing game. But that's not Billy's style. So I think what's the question we're going to have to ask, Alan? How good is Florida's running game in this football game? If they're able to run the football at a high level, then Florida will be able to score points. Georgia's rush, rush defense is fantastic. But it's not fantastic because of their D-line, which is good. Don't underrate them. It's good. It's fantastic because their linebackers are phenomenal. And so that does give Florida some hope because if you're a zone running team and you can control the front four, the linebackers are going to wind up getting blocked at the second level by your linemen. I don't care how good they are. You should still be able to have some success. So that is going to be interesting. I think this game is very interesting. Florida's offense versus Georgia's defense. Not that interesting. Georgia's offense versus Florida's defense unless Florida does something unconventional. But even Florida's base regular offense this will be a very interesting matchup for Napier, and it'll be very interesting to see it on film. And this is the bye week. You know, asked we we discussed last week. Is there is there a path forward um, to success? Right for this defense, not that you completely install all kinds of new things, but you would take the things that you're already doing and you run way more or way less of something. So maybe they did look and say, "Hey, we just got to play more man." Theoretically, we have the guys that can do that. Who knows? And even if we didn't, here's what I would say. Even if we didn't have the guys that would do it, if I was coaching, you know, pick your FIU or something, and I'm playing Georgia, I'm manning them. Because why the heck not? That's where Stetson Bennett is the the most uncomfortable. Just live with it and see what happens, right? 
make that window smaller than what exists in his zone and don't give him a chance to do what he does best, which is read the field. In man defense, there is no reading. It's matchup based. There's no reading at all. So take away his best skill set and make him throw the football consistently, accurately into smaller windows. That's, that's I think, the challenge I'd pose for him. And you're right. We haven't brought a lot of pressure. I would love to see Florida send way more pressure at Bennett. He's not a big guy. If you have a guy in his face, it's often hard for him to throw the ball over and around them. It is hard. And he's uncomfortable with that. He likes to run first. And if you get enough pressure back there, he'll pull his head off looking downfield. I mean, there's a lot that you can do to a guy. And you do have to worry about him the same way AR, obviously to a lesser degree. But if you are playing man, he can run. He can run. And I think that's why Missouri was smart. They said, we're not going to spy him. We're just going to send pressure at him. And if we stay disciplined in in our rushing lanes, which Missouri does a great job of that. Florida's not been great at that. As long as we get in there, He'll have no obvious escape route. And that that gamble worked for them. And again, I think if they had done it even more, they probably won that football game. Okay. A few categories here. Special teams, edge, Georgia. Penalties, edge, Georgia. So that's what we talked about. I tipped this. So Georgia actually is fourth in the country uh, in penalties per play. They hardly ever commit penalties. They're 35th or so in the country in penalty yards per play. So it's an inverse of maybe what's Billy doing. I think Billy wants to get to where Georgia is, but they actually allow like 10.7 yards per penalty, but they hardly get penalized, which is what I told you, which is actually the home run. Like if you're a coach, that's what you want. You want to commit very few penalties a game. And when you do commit them, you want them to be for a lot of yards if they're not personal fouls. And for Georgia's, I imagine most of those are going to come on, you know, pass interference, holding calls, and you'll take those all day long. Those are productive penalties. So again, just another sign that Georgia in every single phase is a fantastic football team. All right, turnover margin, edge UGA, time of possession margin, strong edge for UGA. Yeah, they're top five in time of possession. So again, this is a matchup on, on statistics alone, Alan, that looks like a Herculean task for Florida to stay close in this football game. Do you want to give us an injury suspension depth chart update? Because no. we have one. What do you we mean? do. Yeah, we got Torrance. He's back. Okay. Yes. That's a big one. There you go. That's huge. Our best offensive lineman is practicing this week and yes. should in theory play. For sure. Osiris Torrance playing is massive for the Florida Gators. If they want to have the kind of success running the ball, that would allow them to theoretically run well enough to beat a team like Georgia. He's an yeah. NFL caliber lineman. You can't replace that for sure. No. So that's a big boost for the offensive line. And then, of course, on Wednesday, we'll get the full depth chart report on guys like Devin Moore and others. We'll see where they're at. All right. It is time for the keys to the game segment. Alan, you're up first. You can start with either offense or defense. Take your pick. Yeah. I mean, Florida's only real path to victory for me is creating chaos on defense, right? So you're going to have to do things to induce takeaways and that's going to be by sending pressure i don't know if we're going to do that but um i'm going to say it's going to need like probably five sacks and two turnovers and you're hoping that those you know fumbles is fumble luck you know whatever but well, at least one of those being a pick that you induce by sending pressure um and so you never want to get blown out in a rivalry game, but Florida's talented enough that you should be trying to win the game, not just lose by less. And I think I would almost always take that strategy. Um, 
now on offense again, I it's hard for me to pick out like a a key here um, that would exploit something that Georgia doesn't do well. But I do think we're gonna have to threaten them running the ball. I don't think we can just throw the ball fifty times in this game. I don't think that's what we want to do. So can we average over four and a half yards per carry? I think that at least keeps us within range if we can create some chaos in other areas. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Uh, I've already said, obviously, that my major key to the game is Florida's got to play man a majority of the time. I'd go 90%. But yeah, give me like what you majority. think might be a realistic gonna, path. Yeah, I'm going to give you, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give you instead, just like we always do, kind of a stat number here. And I'm going to say that Florida, realistically, to win this game needs four turnovers. I'm on, the, it's the chaos train, which okay. you said, and it's going to take that many. Take a lot. It needs four turnovers. Uh, that ensures that Florida gets a shorter field to at least get some points out of those. Uh, and I think that's what Florida literally has to have in a game where they're so overmatched right now at this stage. Um, any way I can get them, I'll take them. They can be, you know, Stetson Bennett gave one, literally just gave one to Missouri. We'll take one of those. Missouri had, I think, three turnovers in that football game, and they were right there, right? So I think Florida, three or four, I'm going to say four, to kind of say that would lead to a victory. And on offense, I think it's going to go back to something you mentioned earlier in the year. I'm going to bring it back. Uh, chunk yardage. I think that Florida, again, they have to score in this game. You're just not realistically going to drive the ball on Georgia four yards, four yards, four yards. It's not going to happen. You have to chunk them for yards. I think Florida is going to need seven plays, seven plays of 20 yards or more in this game. To, wow. Again, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take this kind of effort to beat Georgia. It has to be so many things have to go your way to pull off an upset of this magnitude. So you're talking about seven big plays, four turnovers. That's 11 huge plays in a football game. And I think that gives Florida a chance to win. Anything short of that just feels like Georgia could win this game in a million different ways uh, because they are so much better than Florida in execution and talent and so there's not something florida can really hang their hat on and say well we've got this and they don't outside of you know a few playmakers that florida has which is great georgia's got playmakers you know largely all over the place um in positions that will outrank what florida has so yeah i mean if you think about how can you beat a team as talented as georgia if you're not as talented as them you have to do something extreme either tactically or just have an extreme outlier in terms of like something like a quarterback. Richardson is theoretically that guy, right? He's he's not in the same mold as Trask. He doesn't have Trask receiving things, but he's a guy who could create enormous plays through the air and on the ground. So you would need a hero level game from him. He just hasn't shown that yet where he can put together all of it in one game. And, yeah, on the, on the other side, even if he did, would it even be enough? You know, he played fantastic in that Tennessee game, and it was going to take a miracle to win that one. So that that's what's hard to to find a path forward here for Florida. Yeah, it's a great it's a great point that gets overshadowed. He played unbelievable. It's one of the best games a quarterback's played all season long for any team, and all for not uh, took you know a miracle just to have Florida in it. All right, it is prediction time, Alan. I'm going to go first. Yeah. Uh, we lost 34-7 last year, different games, different coaches, different players in a lot of respects. Of course, AR started that game. Uh, I, I feel like the score is going to be similar. The The chance for Florida in this game, and we said this, of course, against LSU, is that Florida's defense on first and second down was at times excellent. And again, Georgia's offense can be stopped. And so if Florida has a few of those series against Georgia where they are excellent on first and second down... They can get off the field on third down 
you could hang around for a while. But this just feels like a game that's eventually going to go Georgia's way. Uh, Georgia is not nearly as explosive offensively as LSU is. So I don't see them putting 50 on Florida through the offensive scoreboard, but a lot could happen defensively where Florida could implode. But I like a similar score. I think that Georgia's going to win. They won 34-7 last year. I think a similar score is going to happen again where I think Georgia takes this one uh, 34-13, which gives Florida a a slight cover here in this game with the points. But uh, that feels right to me. What do you got? Yeah, very weird. I was going to (laughs) go... 35, 13. Wow. Look at us. We're we're dialed in. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I think Georgia could score more in this. That just takes them a little long sometimes to do it. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, not getting Florida could is certainly capable of giving up big plays as we've seen. Um, and 13 feels about right for this Florida offense, unless they are just doing something that's unexpected. Now, again, Florida could come out offensively and defensively doing, very different things than what they've shown. And that would, if I knew that beforehand, that would change our calculus. But for, if Florida's going to do what they've been doing, this feels like a result that's going to happen a lot of times. If you're if you're simulating this out of 100, it feels like something in this range would be the most common result. Yeah, and if Florida wins this football game, Alan, what would be a score you think that they would have to, like how, how many points could the defense allow for them to be able yeah, to? Yeah, I think it's, it's somewhere in that Missouri kind of like 24-21, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it could not be more than 24. I would agree, yeah. 20 feels like the number. You'd have to hold Georgia to 20 points or less, and then you could win that football game. Right, and it, I mean, it can happen. If Florida's running the ball, eating clock, I mean, in theory, offensively, certainly could get to... Yeah, look... Anything can happen, yeah. right? Missouri versus Georgia. This is Missouri right. we're talking about. A team that just barely beat Vanderbilt. Barely. Should have beaten Georgia. It's college football. So if you're saying, oh, there's a chance. Yeah, JT Raymond, there's a definitely, chance. Florida definitely. can win this football game. Now I'm going to ask you, what percentage chance do you think Florida has? The ESPN, you know, predictor will say Florida's got like, I think like a 4.2% chance or something. Yeah, I was going to say around there, somewhere between 5 and 10, like would be like generous. Yeah. I think Florida probably could win this game one out of 15 times, which feels about right. Against this college, you get right. a couple of injuries, you get one guy that goes down here and there. I mean, weird things can happen in college football games. So it's not impossible. That's why you watch the games. It's extremely unlikely. And as I said earlier, this would be the greatest upset for Florida uh, against Georgia, at least on paper. Florida had a sensational upset with Ron Zook against the Georgia team. that was undefeated felt like they were headed towards an undefeated season and they beat them. But the spread in that game was not 22 and a half. This is the largest discrepancy that we've had. That's what Florida faces on Saturday. It's a huge uphill battle. Uh, But again, emotions are high. It's a rivalry game. Georgia tends to underperform in this game quite often. They'll drop passes. They'll do weird things. So if you're hoping there's a silver lining and a positive path for Florida to be competitive in this game, there is. And look, Florida has been competitive in every single game this season even when it looks like it's over versus lsu versus tennessee florida got those games to within one score with real game pressure on your opponent so florida is a kg opponent at four and three they're kg right and let's say we get the defensive performance we were expecting like in our preseason predictions right let's say they're around like 35th in the country Against this Georgia team, and let's keep their offensive statistics, right? And maybe like take some of the outliers like AR's performance against Kentucky out, right? Where he doesn't implode. 
Um, I think Florida probably wins the game like 40% of the time. So talent-wise, it's not so far off. Like coaching-wise, I don't think it's so far off in terms of like what we would imagine Florida could become. That's what feels so unfortunate about the season is that the defense has been so far off the mark for what even just a conservative hope for them would have been. Well, there you go. All right, you want to tell us about HelloFresh? I do. It is, in fact, America's most popular meal kit. But, of course, you know that because you've been hearing this all season long. If you want to try this out, you can. It's fun and affordable, and we've got a huge discount code for you, 65% off. We talked about this in previous weeks. Our resident dietitian, Amber, also known as Everyday Amber May on Instagram. If you're into that kind of thing, you can see her doing video reviews of these items. She loved the Fit and Wholesome box, but in reality, she's actually liked the full variety of all of the HelloFresh boxes. Uh, They're tasty, they're fun, and it's something you probably wouldn't make on your own. So there's a lot of positives to it. If you want 65% off to try it for yourself, your loved ones, your family, you can do so by using our code at HelloFresh.com slash GNFP65. Use the code GNFP65 and get 65% off plus free shipping. All right, let's do a little playoff pick, repick. Repick, because first we have to revisit what our picks were. Right. Um, you went super chalky chalk here, and it's looking pretty nice. You went Bama, Ohio State, UGA, and Clemson. I went a little kookier, kept Bama and Ohio State, and went with Utah and Baylor. Obviously, those picks have already flamed out. Good for you, though, trying to be creative. Yeah, you yeah. and Desmond really going outside oh, on Please don't put me on that, in that kind going of Going on a limb out there. Well, it just felt like Utah, if they had been the type of team uh, that they like they had been the previous season, if they had been able to like cobble it back together, then a chance to go undefeated was was there. And Baylor has been a major disappointment to me. Like I, that, That's been way outside my cone of expectations for them. All right, you want to go first here? I'm going to go first, and I want to start with, I had a hard time with this because in my heart, I wanted to craft a way to have Bama, UGA, and Tennessee all in the playoffs because it feels like they should be. Probably. And quite frankly, do this exercise on your own at home and tell me how you don't come up with those three. And I'm going to give you the scenario that is very possible. Bama wins the West. They play either... Tennessee or Georgia, an undefeated Tennessee or Georgia in the SEC title game. Bama wins. If that happens, what do you do with a one-loss Georgia and a one-loss Tennessee team out of the SEC if you have, pick any other team you want, a one-loss Michigan team who only played Ohio State or a one-loss Ohio State team who only played Michigan? Do you really give them the nod because you have to have a different conference? Maybe, but that sucks. So I had a really hard time because in my heart, those three teams right now need to be in a playoff along with Ohio State. That seems like the obvious solution. I'm going to start by eliminating Clemson. Clemson I picked because of a soft schedule, which I think is still soft. They are still likely to go undefeated. They have flirted with disaster far too many times. I think they still have two games that they could realistically lose on their schedule. They only have to lose one of them, including their game with South Carolina which now looms pretty large at the end. Um, So I'm going to take Clemson out. I am going to leave Bama, Ohio State, and UGA in. I still think 
that Bama is the, this is going to sound maybe crazy because Bama has been flirting with disaster, but I think when Bama's healthy, I still think they're the best team out of UGA and Tennessee. They're the most complete team this season. So I have Bama and Ohio State. I'm keeping UGA. I'm getting rid of Clemson. I have no idea what to do with the fourth team because I don't know what, this is impossible for me. Like, I don't think the Pac-12 gets in. That takes away USC, who's like a long shot, takes away UCLA, takes away Oregon, who I think has the best path potentially. The ACC is gone unless Clemson, I think, goes undefeated. Then you have the Big 12. You have TCU. Right. And certainly if TCU goes undefeated, they're a merited playoff team. Yeah. I just can't imagine they're going to win five more coin flips. So they're a one-loss team. So now I feel like I'm arbitrarily having to pick a one-loss team that I don't want to pick. So with all that being said, I'm going to do something I know will not happen because I don't care. It's our podcast. I can do what I want. I'm taking out Clemson and I'm putting in Tennessee. So my completely unrealistic playoff is going to be Bama, Ohio State, UGA, and Tennessee. So, I mean, let's say everybody in the Big 12 has three losses. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to have, yeah, okay. Everybody in the Pac-12 has three losses. Which is potentially likely in the Pac-12. All right, there's no, like, group of five team this year that's going to take that spot. No Definitely game's not. not there. Nope. I, I could, it could happen. It's possible. That's, I'm going to go with it because I want it to happen. Because I feel like that that's what should happen. Right. That's what I want to see as a viewer. So I'm going to go with that. What do you got in your updated? So this is really comes down to whether I think uh, Tennessee, who's going to win the Tennessee-Georgia game. And right now, I think I'm still going to take Georgia. I feel like I just have more ways to win. And I'm going to take Clemson as well. I think that they're going to, they are going to win out. I think they're talented enough. I mean, they, they played pretty poorly against Syracuse and still won that game. And it might be tight in every game, and they're going to be undefeated, and no one's going to want to put them in the playoff, but that's where they'll be anyway. Yeah, and that's kind of the poison pill that I, I took Clemson out for that reason. I don't want to root for that. I don't like that. Uh, so, you, all right, so you've gone to my original chalky pick before the year, uh, and I've switched off my original to put Tennessee in there, and we will see what happens. This would have been a great year, by the way, if there ever was one to have an expanded playoff for sure we've seen so many sideways weird results really competitive games between these teams i can't wait for that to happen i've been excited for a long time this would have been an awesome first year we're not going to get it these things tend to largely work themselves out to where there's maybe one pick that's kind of interesting this year things look very interesting and you're not if a believer you get in, the scenario i mentioned and you're not a believer in michigan I'm not not a believer. I think you could interchange Ohio State or Michigan. I think Ohio State is better. I think Michigan is good. I think the problem, like we said, is there's just not the body of work there is not going to be nearly as impressive as what other teams have done. And so it gets to be really hard. A very popular pick right now is to have pick two SEC schools and pick two Big Ten schools. That's a very popular one to have Ohio State and Michigan. I just have a hard time putting both of them in when they really only kind of play each other. That's yeah, not Penn being State's kind not to the Big Ten, but that's kind Michigan of State's not that good. It's kind of what's happening this year. Right. That's just unfortunate for them, but that's the way that it is. And nobody neither of them really have a big non conference win to stake their claim to either. No, and that's my point. And so it just feels like a, a meritocracy look at it is there. But either way it should be very interesting to watch. I think it is possible we get this season above all other ones, maybe the most controversial result that we could get 
where if you do have those teams with one loss, there's no good way to choose them. I mean, not even remotely close can you choose between those schools, but it may happen. Again, these things work themselves out. All it takes is Bama losing another game. They're out, um, which can easily happen, right? Georgia, Tennessee, something else happening. Who knows? There's a million things that could happen. That's why we watch the games, but we will see. All right, second part here, Alan. Walk us through our schedule walkthrough for the rest of the year, something we do each and every year. We revisit our picks, and we decide what we're going to do about the rest (laughs) of the season. All right, we've already both picked a loss against the Georgia Bulldogs. Which we stuck with our preseason pick there as well. All right, and let's move to November 5th um, at Kyle Field in College Station. You and I previously both picked a loss. And it was not playing very well right now. I guess I'll go. Why don't you go first on these? Okay, I'll go first. I'm going to stick with a loss here. Florida is as unpredictable as A&M is. It's a noon game, which theoretically bodes well for us, but that's actually an 11 a.m. start for Florida. A&M fans are not happy. Florida fans are in year one. It's a different vibe. Theoretically, I'd want to lean on us. I'm doing this without seeing the Georgia game, of course. Um, A&M's defense is still really good. Really good. And if their defense is really good and our defense is horrific and we're on the road, it's hard for me to pick a win. So I'm going to stick with my loss here. It feels like uh, the Florida defense is just what maybe cures the Texas A&M Aggies offense. So I'm going to stick loss here. All right. So that would put us at four and five heading into the next one. (laughs) Yeah. So South Carolina at home, we both predicted a win. How are you feeling right now? So this game has gotten much dicier in my opinion. I thought they'd be kind of a cagey team, but they're actually a a good competitive middle table team right now. And Florida's a middle table team. So this is going to be a battle. I'm going to stick with a win here largely because South Carolina's offense is wildly inconsistent. This game's probably going to be a coin flip type game. I'm also hoping that Florida is going to progress in these games, even though I'm predicting losses here. I think that Florida could lose and progress their football team in these games. I'm going to take a win here for Florida to move Florida to five and five. Same. I'm going to go win here. The fact that this is at home, um, I think is the only thing that's pushing me towards that. Um, I think Florida needs to split one of those two games, A&M, South Carolina. I think that would be necessary to avoid the kind of like free fall that you don't want. You don't want to lose four in a row. No, I mean, that that just feels really, really bad. bad. Um, and so I think they need to get one of those two wins, and I think that would probably do the job. All right. At Vanderbilt, you going to change that? We both predict a win. I'm going to stick with the win there. Uh, that game could be close. I mean, Vanderbilt's it's losable. KG and it's a losable game. Correct. Florida should win that game. I think that maybe should have it happen, but we almost lost to USF. This team generally does not blow anybody out, uh, but I'm going to stick with the win. Right. I can't at this point right now, I, I can't predict a loss for Florida, but I w- it's not the slam dunk. It was no, definitely not. All right. Eee, this one at Florida state Friday night. 7.30. How you feeling? I hate that it's Friday night so much. Scott, please, don't, never again. Why do you hate it? It's Friday don't night. Don't let it happen. I just don't like it. I mean, theoretically, the whole country's watching. Black Friday. I know the whole country's watching, but I'll tell you why I hate it. It's totally selfish and personal. When both of these teams are good, it's going to be really hard for me to cut my Thanksgiving with my family short <laughs> to have to come back. Like, we're typically out of the state. We're all together. Everyone gets upset. Wait, you're leaving? It's noon on Friday. I've only been here for barely two days. 
I know I'm going to a football game. Well, that's, you know, you're going to a football game. So it's better when it's on Saturday and then you can leave Saturday morning, which again is entirely selfish, but I think there's merit to that. I don't think I'm the only one that feels that way. No. Uh, but yeah, sure. Like I get it. As a kid, I loved watching Nebraska, Colorado, which was a Thanksgiving. You know, it was like a midday game. It was awesome. It was like one of the few college football games on. It's a big deal. I loved it. So I get that like attention wise, it can work, but I think it's more of the selfish travel plan wise. Either way, Florida State is much more competitive this year. They find themselves playing close games with everyone. I still think that Florida, as broken as we are, can win this football game. I think if we do what we're saying we do, this is key to my pick here, Alan. If we win two games in a row coming into this, I like us winning this game. If this is different, if we lose to Vanderbilt, if we lose to South Carolina, if we lose four in a row, then I'm going to flip this to a loss. So I'm banking on the fact that Florida comes in winning two games in a row, getting better. Younger guys are playing. We're looking towards next year. You see that second half of the season style improvement that typically good coaches will make in their first year at a program. I'm counting on that to happen here. And that's why I'm going to go with the win for Florida. Right. I mean, Florida State shoots themselves in the foot as much as Florida does. So this game feels wild to me right now. It's going to be really kooky. The fact that Florida beat this Florida State team last year post Dan Mullen firing. I I just don't see them improving at the rate that I'm hopeful that Florida will by the end of the season. And I think it'll be close because both teams have played mostly close games, you know, in every game. So this is a, you know, for a good team, let's say you're a, you know, a, a top 10 ish team other than the Georgia game that a good team would wax all of these teams and maybe South Carolina is a little close because they're just frisky but if you're playing well you're going to beat all four of these teams rather handily but where Florida's at and they could win all of them and lose all of them and it feels like you have no real idea what to pick any of these I mean Vanderbilt feels like the the one that you would obviously pick is the most likely one but it does not feel secure at this moment yeah, uh, the, the last four games, anything could happen. You could give me every outcome. Florida goes 0-4, Florida goes 4-0. I believe all of them. And that's how unpredictable it's going to be. And that's, if you're an F1 fan in racing, this is classic midfield battle here. This is where you don't really know. Race to race, a lot of variance, a lot of, you know, very close, very competitive. Uh, and a lot of times fans at each school overvalue their team. So it's easy to look at these games and think, oh, we're so much better than those teams. But the reality is none of these teams are so much better than the other team. And that's why they all have the results they do. And it's really hard to predict. All right. I have three questions for you, Alan. I'm going to okay. start with the first one. What do we need to see for these remaining games? Style-wise, like what do you want? What are you looking for? Besides record, what are you looking for? I think the defense needs to take major steps forward. Um, and the offense needs to continue to be productive. But again, defensively, if you got even average output, Florida probably wins all these games. If if they can keep Richardson healthy, if every, nothing else just kind of goes off the rails, I think they can be productive enough on offense. They've shown, you know, if as long as you don't get bad AR where he implodes, like you're gonna you're gonna win these games. And so, yeah, improvement. I think off, the offense can continue to improve. They've been getting better in some ways, and some of their best performances have, have come recently. So, um, I, I think improvement and. But man, I do want to see wins. 
I think they need to win these games. That would be a step forward for them as a program. So not that that's like, you know, um, just the wins are the only metric. Because if Florida's a better team, that wouldn't be the metric. I'd want to see a different kind of growth from them because they're expected to win these games. But, man, pick up pick up three of four of these post-Georgia. I think you have to do that, really, to to put the program on the kind of trajectory that you want and you dampen a lot of the noise in the system. Yeah, if you go 7-5, and five, you win your last three games. You enter into bowl game season, extra practices. You win right. the bowl game, you go 8-5. and five. You're riding kind of kind of like what Tennessee did yeah. last year. Uh, I like that. Okay. What about well, you? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that I'm, I'm a huge style in year one, and I want to film. I want to see the team improve. And for me on offense, we, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I have got to see the offensive passing design improve. Otherwise, I'm going to start getting really worried that this is not going to be championship level passing. The running game has already vastly exceeded anyone's expectations. It is absolutely phenomenal with creativity. So we have a championship offensive mentality on our, our rushing attack and a high school mentality in our passing attack. And I'm sure if Napier heard me say that, he'd be really upset with that as some guy sitting here behind a microphone who's never coached college football accusing his offense of those things. But the film says what it says. And it's regressive, in my opinion, is hurting Florida. So I would want to see Napier begin to mold himself into a more dynamic passing game play caller. That would be important for me for the future ceiling and also our tactical success. And obviously the defense has to improve. I'm going to save my direct comment on that because my next question goes to that. What if you're Billy, and I'm going to assume now, we've already talked about this. I think you and I both agree that Billy's not getting rid of Tony under any no. circumstance. He's going to give him a second year no matter what happens. So if you're, that's not how we're going to answer this question. We're going to assume now that you are the head coach of Florida. You are not automatically going to keep your defensive coordinator for two years. You're just going to evaluate him annually. What would you need to see from Tony that would give you confidence to keep him for the next year? I mean, really it comes down to that third down percentage, right? Are you able to do things that get the other team off the field? Like, I, it's demoralizing to end up in third and 13 and, and feel like the team is most likely going to pick it up. That will kill your fan base. That will kill your team. And not that, again, they don't need to become dominant, but they've got to improve in that area. They have to change tactically and technique-wise. If Florida just does that, I think people will be pretty happy. And that that feels really simple. Um, so that that's improvement, right? And so I think you want to see the players improve, like, you know, situationally. You want to see them improve in their individual tasks and roles. But really, if you can just improve that stat, and you aren't dead last, right? Not that you move up like three spots, but if over the last five games that remo- that moves towards a area of respectability, I think people would be really pleased with that. Yeah, I think I need to see a lot better stuff on film. Uh, on film is most important to me. If teams complete some passes on you, whatever. If if the film is good, the look is good. Sure, like, it's got to be like you're, they're not just dropping passes, right? But like right, and as we displayed versus LSU that was some of the worst film that we have seen ever and it was part players and part coaches and we talked about it um I'm not going to recover that if you want to hear that go back and listen to the breakdown for that from the previous week so I would have to see that improve like right now there are fair questions to be asked about Tony at this level 
there are fair questions to be asked about some of the scheme that Florida is running and how it's being employed. If the scheme itself is fine, if it's fine to run a cover three in this situation, how Florida's running it is not fine. And that stuff has got to get fixed. Now, Napier came out in the press conference today. And this is what's great, having Napier as a coach right now. He's winning the press conference every week. He does not hide behind anything. He comes out and he says, a lot of stuff is broken. We see all of the stuff that's broken, and we're going to keep working on fixing it. There is no hiding. There is no excuse. There is no whatever. We see it, and we know it. We have issues. We're working on fixing them, which is important because coaches oftentimes can act like they don't have issues, and it's just whatever. And so I think that's a big part of it. But I'd also have to, I'd also have to know if I'm Napier. I'd want to know, like, why is this guy still playing certain players that seemingly have played themselves out of a job every single game they've been a Florida Gators player in this regime? And how are they still playing? And Billy spends all of his time with the quarterbacks in the offense. I have to imagine he outsources the defense to his defensive coordinators and he watches the film like everyone else does, but he wants to lean on them. He wants to empower them. That's actually good leadership. Sure. But there's questions I would be asking. Hey, if you keep doing this, I'm going to have to ask you some very serious questions about how you are evaluating your personnel. It's not comfortable. So I think personnel is to get better. Scheme has to get better. If you want to run the scheme, it's got to be cleaner. It's got to look better. It's got to be right. Uh, and you have to see improvement. Like you mentioned, you have got to see improvement. There's no chance this Florida defense can finish at the bottom where they are right now without improving, without me having some serious reservations about what the future is going to look like. You can be bad in year one, but you cannot get worse. You cannot regress. You cannot not have improvement on film. Yeah, I mean, we're in such a bad spot right now that people are like, you know, that Todd Grantham wasn't so bad. Which is crazy. Not, not that people are saying that, but it. <laughs> Some people are. It doesn't feel better. It, no, it's worse. It's worse right now, and that's insane. Um, so it's better in some regards that, again, like it makes sense that we're running in a certain defense, but how we're running it doesn't make sense. So that stuff's got to get fixed. All right. Lastly, what would you need to see Billy do? So now you're the head coach. Imagine it's you. You're the OC. What would you need to see yourself do to prove to yourself that you being OC is best for the football team? So. I think the success in the passing game and the diversity of what, what's being called, man, Billy has taken on a huge workload to be the head coach and recruiting, like, you know, taking on the kind of recruiting role that he's taking on to be the offensive corner and the quarterback's coach. Again, Rob sales and is like, I guess, technically a co OC, but he's an offensive line coach. I think you got to bring somebody in to, you know, help you there. Right. Like if, if most of what you're doing and, and again, if you want to call plays, call plays, have the guy suggest plays, bring in somebody who's going to help you redesign the passing offense. I might've already seen enough to make that call. Not that, not that he can't be the OC, but I think we need more help on the offensive staff. Um, it's just, that's a lot to ask of any person ever. And it's not, a, it's not, I don't think it's, you're like admitting defeat to bring in more help. And I, I think there's a, there's enough humility there that I think he would do that if you felt like he could find the right guy. Um, But I, I don't know. I'm not expecting to see this explosion of diversity and creativity in the last five games. If it happens that, that will be great. That would be what I would need to see is what you just said. At this point in time, I've been patient because you want to give somebody a full year to show what they are probably going to do. And if I continue to see the same plays I'm breaking down each week on film, that's not going to cut it. 
That's regressive passing football. And again, if I'm looking myself in the mirror, sometimes you got to say, I've given my best at this. I am not elite at this. I'm elite in the run game. I don't understand the passing game in the right way. I'm suboptimal here. I need to bring someone in who can supplement this. And all great coaches do that. They learn from each other. Look, Kirby Smart, I think is safe to say, is widely regarded as one of the best, if not the defensive best defensive mind in college football. And he does not coordinate his own defense. You better believe he sets the structure. I want to operate within these parameters. I want to do stuff like this. Nick Saban used to have a lot more control to his own admission over what the offense did. And he recognized that was hurting him. So he said, I got to lean into this. I'm going to bring in Lane Kiffin. Balls to the wall. I'm going to let do whatever you want. That was smart by him. So I think Napier has been very, we've talked about it. We're speculating here. Chip on your shoulder. Fired as Clemson's OC successful as Arizona State's OC for a year, would have gotten extended, but that's two years, two and a half years, I think at Clemson was what he had. So he's like less than three years total in a 14, 15 year college coaching career as an OC. That's not where he's hanging his hat on. And if I'm Napier, I feel like I have so many other things I am exceptionally gifted at. Building a program, building relationships, being super organized, identifying ways to win, having a formula. Those are awesome things. Those are skillful things. I hope he doesn't die on the hill of thinking a football coach has got to coach football, if that makes sense. He doesn't have to. He can be a meta guy. That does not take anything away from him, right? Not even remotely, especially not in today's day and age with recruiting being a full-time job. So I would have to see a lot that proves to me that I would look at Napier's offense on film and say, this guy gets it. He's not going to be Andy Reid, right? He's not going to be a wizard of football. Right. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be, but he's got to be better than what he is in the passing game. This this is not good enough. And if he doesn't hold himself accountable in year one, you're going to get a pass. But in year two, if you come out in year two and it's game two and it's game three and the same stuff happens that people are covered and it's not working, Alan, people will be so frustrated because well, you only get such a long leash before someone says, hey, we've seen this now. We've seen 15, 16, 17 games of data. This play, these plays aren't working and there begins to become an erosion of trust. So on the other end of this is Jimbo Fisher, right? Again, I haven't like looked deeply, deeply at AM, but from what I can tell, they're not functionally able to run what he wants to run, and he will not deviate from it. He will not, and for years they've been a terrible offense. Right. And so I don't know. I don't know what that says about Jimbo. Uh, I could speculate on that, but so I think there's a similar path there, right? So, I mean, Billy, again, you could still be the OC. It's not like, like you, or you could still be the play caller or whatever you want. If you want to like push the buttons, sure. Push the buttons, right? It's not like we're running or it should be never be passed passing. It's not like it's all dumb, right? So maybe right now that's all these guys can run and that's fine. And year two install, maybe you'll get more creative. Uh, that's at least reasonable to me, but I, I think more help here would, would at least from what we've shown so far, unless there's stuff that we just don't know that that seems to be the most plausible explanation. Well, and the answer already exists in the football world, right? You bring in a passing game coordinator. Sure. And that's what Brian Johnson, who's killing it with the Eagles right now did in large part. I think people will give him credit for Dan Mullen. We certainly did. Right. I think a lot of those concepts, Mullen understands offensive football. He always wants to learn and grow. But a lot of those concepts, I think, were much more Brian Johnson's, like, that's what he was living in every single day. So if we want to play like this, 
what are the best plays to run? Yes. Here they are. And that's all Billy can call plays. In fact, his, his like penchant for calling plays has been fine. It's not often that he calls a play and I'm like, there's a horrible time to pass the ball to your point. It's been a fine time to pass the ball. The play design has been lacking. And that's where you bring someone in. Hey, quarterbacks, coach slash passing game coordinator. I'll still press the buttons, but again, recognize that you are super gifted with your offensive play calling as a run game coordinator, but you're not as a passing game coordinator and that's perfectly okay. Let's not hurt ourselves by limiting one side of the offensive ball. Right. And so I think this is where you come out. And if you, if you're like, Hey, we're going to get there and you can prove that you get there, that's fine. But this is the, when you don't make the obvious choice, you start to bring the pressure on yourself. And again, not that anyone's has perfect trajectory and how in their growth, but he's going to have to answer the questions of why aren't you doing this? And that seems to be the most obvious. And that's right. And that's exactly right. So that's the two questions that are set up now. And we'll leave that in the rear view. The question everyone's going to ask is, why are we keeping Tony? Because now that's a litmus test. That's going to be on Napier's shoulders. And the second question is, why are you still the OC? Which people, I think, really mean what we've dissected here, more granular. They're going to say just the OC. But I think what they really mean is designing the plays in totality if we continue to struggle at passing the football in the state of Florida, that's not a good recipe for recruiting and things down the line. You want to be a team that passes the ball well. We've talked about this before. We talked about it with Mullen 1.0 style not being conducive to the state of Florida if he did that. So there are questions he will have to ask. And as you mentioned, the burden of proof will be on him to prove it. And that's where the pressure gets amped. So you'd rather relieve yourself of some of those pressures so you can focus on running the team entirely rather than get bogged down on right. a detail of like, I need to be a better passing game coordinator when you're the head coach of a football team. Right. And you, and if you, this is where the, this is why you're making $7 million is like, it's on you to make that choice. And if it doesn't matter if the pressure is ratcheted up, if the right decision is to keep Tony or not hire a new person, then you get to make that call. Correct. If that's what you believe and no one can tell you otherwise, but Hey, you know, there are other people watching you do this and you've got to again, now prove it right. We start with the benefit of the doubt. And now I don't think the pressure is going to be anywhere near the Mullen Grantham thing. No, where, no, no, no. That took time. It takes yeah. time to get to that point. Right. It's not there, but we're kind of jumping on them early because unfortunately for Napier, he's walking into years of bad decision-making and that should not carry over to him, which is yeah. why we've been careful to say, you have to give enough time here. You cannot, you cannot use the bad decision-making personnel-wise, coaching decision-wise of who to hire and who to fire from the previous regime and put that on Napier. That's not him. We have to evaluate his own decisions, recognizing that even the best coaches make bad OC and DC decisions every now and then. It's not possible to get every single one right. The good coaches will remedy their mistake before it's too late, before they've let it go too far. And that's what we're talking about now. We will follow those and we will see. All right, the week nine slate of course, Florida's taking on Georgia, other games across the country. We're going to start with here at number 14, Utah, favored by eight at the Cougs of Washington State. Yeah, I don't I don't like this number for Utah, but I like them to win. So I'll take them to cover here. Washington State's been like really tricky to pin down. I feel like when I've picked them, I've been burned. So uh, I'll go Utah. Yeah, I'm going to stick with you there, uh, Utah, for me as well. Number two, Ohio State on the road at Penn State. We talked about this being, okay, here's a team that they have to compete against. Road game, tough game, potentially. Uh, they're favored by only 15. That mm. seems low to you? Seems yes, low to me. very low. I mean, 
unless there's something I don't know. I mean, Ohio State hasn't really been challenged yet at all. So this could be one of those moments where maybe there's some chinks that get exposed, but um, I, I have to take Ohio State here. Easy. Yeah, that feels like my lock of the week, and I can't wait to potentially regret that next week. Um, either way, I love that line for Ohio State. Number seven, TCU, favored by seven and a half at West Virginia. Man, this is by far the easiest game left on paper. And but this is also one of those big 12 games that you go and you lose. In Morgantown, I don't like that .5 at all. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll go TCU here. But I, I, I don't feel good about that game. Yeah, I don't like West Virginia. And if TCU is even the real deal at all, they need, to, they need to cover this one. So I'm going TCU. Oklahoma favored by two. At the clones, your mm. boys, spicy matchup here. <laughs> or I don't know if it's that spicy. Uh, I'll go Iowa State here. They they're due for a win here. They're they're over in Big Twelve play, and they've lost every game by like a point, which is crazy. And again, this is kind of like if you're a head coach of one of these programs, like Matt Campbell is, do you leave or do you stay? And like he's he's committed to the cause, but obviously tough year this year. I'm going to take the clones here, though. I do not believe in Oklahoma. Iowa State's defense is good. Their offense is good enough, especially against Oklahoma's non-existent defense. So I'll take them at home. Notre Dame at number 16, Syracuse. Syracuse favored by two in this game. I mean, I can't in any kind of good faith pick Notre Dame. Um, I, I don't like this either. Notre Dame's been really unpredictable. I think Syracuse might be like low coming off that loss. Um, I would say very far away from it, but I'll take Syracuse. You do not just walk into the carrier <laughs> dome, Allen, and come away with a win. That's true. You don't do it. Notre Dame's coming off a bye week. I think Syracuse is emotionally gut-punched. I think Freeman's got the program going in the right direction. This seems like a crazy pick for me because I don't think you walk into the carrier dome like that and get a win, but I actually think Notre Dame's in a spot here to get a W, so I'm going I'm to take them. All right. Number nine, Oklahoma State, my boys. At number 22, Kansas State, your boys. Oklahoma State favored by just one. I have no idea what Kansas State's current health is. They might have passed the point of no return with that. So I'm going to have to take Oklahoma State. Yeah, two teams that are both injured here. And I think that's reflective of the line. I'm also going to take Okie State. Number 19, Kentucky at number three, Tennessee. Tennessee favored by just 12 and a half. Oh, please give me Tennessee here. I mean, all day. Back it up. Look, Kentucky's interesting. They have great linebackers. Yeah. Linebackers are the key to stopping Tennessee. Because it allows you, if you want, to do my preferred strategy, which is play more man. Kentucky, however, does not play a lot of man. And we saw how well that worked out for Alabama. So, is Mark Stoops all of a sudden going to change his stripes and play man? I don't think so. Therefore, I expect Tennessee to cover this. All right, number 10, Wake Forest at Louisville. Wake Forest favored by five and a half in this game. Again, this is a very suspicious line to me. Um, I feel like I'm on like the public side of all of these picks, which I don't like. Um, but I'm going to go Wake yeah, I'm also number going to go Wake. I mean, Wake, what a, what a great job that's being done out there. Uh, we talk about it each and every year he's been there. But uh, just Louisville is a hard team to get a handle on. Five and a half for Sam Hartman and the boys feels right. Number 20, Cincy, favored by one at UCF. Cincy quietly just winning football games despite this being a significant transition year for them. Yeah, I'll take Cincy here. I, I think they're just better than UCF at this point. Okay, I like it. I'm going to take UCF here. I don't want to. I don't want UCF ever to win. But since he's been floating with disaster week after week after week, UCF, I think uh, this is the right place for them to get a dubs. Missouri at 
Number 25. Number 25, Spencer Rattler's South Carolina Gamecocks. And South Carolina is favored by five and a half. I'm going to zag here. I'm, I'm just going to take Mizzou to cover here. Okay. I like that. This game does feel like it should be super close. I like exactly what you're going with, and I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, number 15, Old Miss at Texas A&M. Old Miss is favored by two and a half. Man, Ole Miss just got me last week, but I don't I don't think AM's gonna be able to pace them. I don't know. They're depending on how Zach Evans is healthier, but it feels like they're gonna be able to still run the ball here. This is super tricky because Old Miss is now entering the competitive part of their schedule. Uh-huh. And like what do we know about them? What's AM gonna do? They have to win. They're desperate for a win. Old Miss's defense is like Florida's defense, the sieve. This game's going to be super close. Um, I know, under three, though, which I like. I know, it's a thing. It's like, I I just want Old Miss to win, and I'm going to pick them, which is a terrible reason to do that. Same. (laughs) But I'm doing it. All right, Pitt versus UNC. UNC favored by four. UNC ranked at 21. Yeah, I'm, I'm indifferent towards Pitt. I don't know what to do about them. Um yeah, UNC, I mean, they give up everything. Uh, four is a weird number. I have no feeling for this at all, but I'll go UNC. Yeah, UNC is like an arena league football team. They score a lot, but they have no defense. Pitts, KG, they play close games. This is an impossible one. I'd stay away from it. I'm just going to complete our almost first ever universal pick set together. Wow, where do uh, we diverge? We diverged with the Fighting Irish. And Cincinnati UCF. And Cincinnati UCF. So we'll see how it goes. Could be interesting. Could be a bloodbath. Who knows? All right. Tell us what Daytona Steve's got cooked up this right. week. Daytona Steve does this, by the way, in real life every single week. <laughs> so welcome to the world of Daytona Steve's real life here. Okay. So I'm not going to read all of this off, but this is the every game Sunday NFL party. And we, I will post this just yeah. so you can see it on our social media and Patreon, et cetera. So you can examine the goodness in case one of these happens to hit one week. So uh, this is AKA the OG Daytona Steve parlay. Um, this is hilarious. Uh, if you bet $1, you win $2,330. That's how long the odds are on this. Um, but just there's zero chance you're going to complete this. Basically zero. Yeah. Like, I don't think that, I think, I think Daytona has only made it through the one o'clock games. <laughs> he does this every single week of like five times. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's impossible, but it, it makes for an exciting Sunday. If you just put a dollar on there, cause you could win. A lot for your money there, but that's it's also just handing the yeah. But look at it this way: you get like two thousand three hundred and thirty Sundays of one dollar, <laughs> where you have to win one time. That's it, there and you go. break even. You Lots go. of entertainment. All right, read them off. I, do you want me to read them? Yeah, all let's off? Just, you know, just go for it quickly. You can just say just just don't even announce the spread. Just right. say who's winning over who. He's got the Jags, the Vikings, the Falcons, Raiders, Dolphins, Patriots, Eagles, Titans, Seahawks, Rams, Commanders, and Packers. All at various lines. Um, he has the Jags. How does that make you feel as a Jags fan? They're at home versus the Broncos. I mean, I I feel like you're if you're gonna bet <laughs> on the Jags, you're just inviting pain. <laughs> I thought you would say that. So there you go. That's pretty great. All right. Any other items, Alan? We have to discuss here. I don't think so. Um, it feels like such a muted Florida Georgia game. I mean. It's it's clearly still like the game of the weekend essentially because there's n- there's nothing really good out there. You saw the slate we just we walked through. I mean, Ohio State, Penn State is probably you know the other high profile one, but um, 
if Florida plays well here, that'll that'll command the attention of the of the free world. And so they have a, they have an opportunity to shine here. It should could be a great Saturday. Yeah, and TV wise, Florida has delivered. Like if you are a TV executive, Florida's games have been exciting all the way until the end. So I think they're quietly hopeful that you might get the same result. I would definitely take that. I'm sure all of you would as well. That's all I got. It's been another great episode, Alan. Great sitting here and sharing the booth with you. Let's do it. All right, I'll close it down. Guys, hopefully I can come on here next week and say some wild catchphrase. And Florida has had just an astonishing victory that would propel us to new heights. Regardless of the outcome, we'll join you right back here next Monday. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.